Welcome to episode 463 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 463 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good, and you? Got rid of that frog? Uh, well, I started the show before, I got a frog on my throat, and I think it's kind of partially there. Okay, good. Hope you, it clears. you ignored me the other day? Yeah. John came around, he's angry at me? I am angry. Tell me why you're angry at me. We have soccer, football, you know, like anywhere in the world, is massively popular. And on Saturday mornings, we have this park that we go to, uh, and, and there's junior soccer on, and it starts at, I think, 9 o'clock, and you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids turning up. I think in our grade, which is 8th uh, grade, I think there's about 12 to 15 teams of um, sort of 5 to 7 per team. Lots of kids. And so you'd think, what a stupid place to take a whole bunch of runners to finish when there's hundreds of people trying to find a uh, find a park and, and what is already a busy place but maybe I'm just being selfish I think you are Newsom because we have hundreds of runners hundreds up. of other places you could go to we can't go anywhere else no no we, we start at 7 it's all good John no it's not you're still there when I get there yeah but we're just finishing up then yeah, what about the 9 o'clock <laughs> there was, was negative negative uh, negative marketing for your business because there was parents there that are going to me that bloody group anyway positive way to start the show but anyway how on, about the weather on the light side I'm riding past you some he's doing his coaching with the kids I uh John give you a wave oh, so yeah. I was coaching at that stage you were actually they were playing the game focused playing the game admittedly you were playing the game and you were you were coaching I think there was a, I saw two goals be scored <laughs> one of our games we got four goals but the score was 2-2 how does that work how does it work? We got two own goals. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, good times, rock and roll. Okay, uh, iTalk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our lovely patrons. And we're going to name a few today. First of all, John Boo. Colin, the convict. Bielkowski. Bielkowski, yeah, something like that. Um, I'm going to say agent, special agent Jeremy W. Ryan. Simon... The setter, pace, nice. or the pace, the pace setter. setter. Nice, cold. Now we've got Tim Heming, and Tim, we, we, we're pretty sure we've given your nickname in the past, but we haven't kept the record of it, and it's still in my head, because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was gold. It must have been like the tennis pro, or... Yeah, it had to be something like that, Heming. but then John's got the breaker here. Because you know, he breaks the news. He is good with breaking the news. Um, he always gives us good insight. When you're a tennis player, you know, you've got like break point, and oh, you break, nice. break rackets, and things like that, so it could be the breaker. Tim, if we gave you something else, let us know. You do, let us know. And then, John, last one. Soren, Mr. Tasty Vrist. Hmm. wonder where that came from. I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. Let's not even go there. Okay, John, we've got, this week's show, we've got a bit of news. We've got some statistic. We've got an interview. Freddie Kronberg. I did this interview a um, couple of weeks ago. We were going to have it last week, but then had to break the Bahrain 13 story mm. with Macca. So, uh, yeah. Got For those who don't know anything about Freddie Kronberg. He is a Swedish athlete based in Asia. It goes around there and very much... Uh, podiums, won some races around there, won Challenge Atlantic City last year. Um, and just an interesting story because he's, you know, you're, he's what you, you know, you're, you're sort of second tier pro, but he's very, you know, acknowledges that and he, he wasn't even planning on being a pro, but kind of just 
started getting results and thought, oh, might as well race pro. And, uh, and things have just flowed on from there. So it's a good little story. And we've got some questions and answers. Oh, we've got, got Arnold's history uh, lesson. Yeah, so Arno, you asked a question about Nice and you know, why is Nice no longer around? And uh, Arno sort of gave us a bit of history around that for Statistastic with Mark Allen winning 10 times in yep. a row there. And uh, Arno adds another layer of history to it. Oh, the layers keep getting added. And then we've got some questions and answers at the end. Okay, Jumbo, well, we've got a bit of gossip news this week. Well, so, uh, I'm not a Twitter person myself. I mean, I'm you on are. Twitter. You're Twitter more than I, I am. Tw- I don't tweet very, very How often. Do you check it out daily? No. Oh. If I check it out weekly, it's uh, it's lucky. It's a big occasion. It's a big occasion. Twitter will be going. Whoop! He's back on. Uh, but no. But I get these emails through every few days, just saying this is what's happening on Twitter. Uh. Why aren't you on there? And I haven't figured out how to block them yet. So <laughs> they still keep coming through. But I got one yesterday, and the first thing on it was. Uh, Chrissy Wellington and a picture of her coming going down the aisle with Tom Lowe. So they must have got married maybe at the weekend or fairly recently. I think you're right. I saw that on Facebook as well. <coughs> Good. So that's great. Great gossip. Okay, Jombo, let's let's get to the sport. So we had Ultraman Australia happening over the weekend, and uh, it was pretty close racing, John. It was very close racing, and they did a really good job on their Facebook page of updating stuff. I thought it was pretty impressive. They obviously had a few marks on like the run course, and they every athlete, you know, you've only got, was it 35, I think, athletes? 37, uh, I think. 37, 35 finished. So you've, you know, taken pictures of them, right? They've come... You know, Jim Bloggs has come through halfway and this is his time so it wasn't live timing or anything like that but they did a good job of covering the event but yeah as you said close racing one main thing that they did they finished on a beach uh, <sighs> so it was upheld around uh, Noosa I think and then yeah so you, uh, the finish line was on soft sand on the beach I could think of nothing worse oh yeah when after running bloody 80k's <laughs> run 80k's trying to finish on a beach but uh, you've, I suppose you've got to have an epic challenge and it was a battle of the, the slightly younger buck versus the you know the older buck there it was 8 minutes separated first and second place so really close racing on the run and it was being closed down all the way. Stephen Gage ended up finishing in second place in 21 hours and 48 minutes and also David it's really small font, uh, was it Kalinowski yeah, was, ended up taking good. it out 21 hours and 40 minutes so he had the 10k swim did 2 hours 42 and then they jumped on their bikes for 144 kilometres, rode 421 and then on the day two, you bike 275 kilometres, and that's more or less where he won the race by riding seven hours, 54 minutes. And then day three is your double Hold marathon on. day, and he ran 6.42 versus Stephen Gage was closing him in, ran 6.35, but not quite enough uh, time to catch him up. And Robbie Andrews was in third place. And the girls side of things? Girls side of things. We had Penelope Holland take it out in... Is that 2634, is it? I think it is. Yep, I think you're right. And then second place, you had Ali Coulter. And third place, we had Debbie Hazeldean, former Christchurch girl. Now, we've got an email through from someone and uh, just saying I watched some of the Australian Ultraman bike section this afternoon, really different finishes. So I'm barely able to get off the bike after a 275k segment. All men, the woman looked fantastic by comparison. How they uh, cover 80 point. 84.4k run tomorrow godness only knows the guy doing the commentary was excellent really knew the athletes and their support teams later found out it was Steve King who we had on Legends of Triathlon yes. uh, who was a famous voice from Iron Man 
Canada for years. Yep. Uh, but I guess that wasn't uh, that's easy when there are only 35 competitors, many of them former Ironman, but it's a fair handful to have a real ultra-distant experience. But the prerequisite is to be entering is you have to have done a 14-and-a-half-hour Ironman, so I guess you don't need it. So yeah, Annette was, there was Annette Lee who said oh, was that Annette Lee, and was she it? was up there yeah, just watching a little bit of that uh, action come in. So well done everybody who did Ultraman Australia. We may have a little bit more about that next week because I know the guys that were organising it we had on the show ages ago uh, and they emailed me last week and I said look just send us something over but I imagine they were pretty busy wrapping up the event so we may have a little bit more on that next week. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself why don't more Ironman do this race but when you think the 10k swim and the run like the bike you know what I think most I mean the bike probably thinks they, that they could do that but to run 80k's it's what I was saying to Phil, I was saying that to Phil last night you know swim relatively straightforward yeah. for most athletes and I, like, I was like well I've ridden 300 kilometres yeah. before you, in you, days, you know so you could knock it could out do it. Yeah. but that run would just beat the living crap out of me yeah. I wonder you, how you feel post that race not very good because I'm sure most of it bloody, a lot of people end up walking most of the run like mm. I'm sure it's a dawdle but still it's pretty impressive ok we've got Ironman Texas coming up Jombo and it's a P4000 point race Mm. It's the so it's a championship race, hundred fifty thousand dollars prize money. Uh, so and we've got to remember, the winners of this race do get an automatic kind of slot, and that's kind of but you'd probably already get it anyway because you get enough points to get in. But the winner does basically get a, a slot to Kona. Now this is the first time it's back to a championship race, or was it a championship race last year? Doherty won it last year. And Kelly yeah, wasn't wasn't a wasn't a championship. No. I'm, I'm pretty positive it wasn't a championship race last year. Because last year's championship race was closer to August, wasn't it? <coughs> and this year they've changed it. I think so. I yeah. think you're right. So I think it's a really good move. Have the championship races in the first half to, in the attempt to try to get more of a championship field rather than having them closer to Kona where you're going to get uh, a lot more of the second, third tier guys racing. So good move by WTC. And this it's a pretty year, good field too, isn't it? Yep. So it could, could be a few quite interesting little plots and subplots going on. According to TorstensTryRating.com, you've got Jordan Rapp predicted to come in first place in 8 hours 12.26. Uh, Andreas Rayler, it's going to be the really interesting one because mm. he had that fantastic performance at a 70.3 uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, had a brilliant run split. So just ex- really excited to see if he can put that together over Iron Distance Race. It's been a long time. And, you know, we've got to remember this guy has been top you know, three. T- top two or three in Kona a couple of times, but also he has been the fastest man ever over the Iron Distance mm, Race. So mm. the dude is a rock star, but just I think really the main thing he's been battling with injuries for the last few years, but hopefully he can um, pull it all together. Got the, you've passed that frog over me, so yeah, I've told mate, you before, yeah, stop me. kissing me. Yeah, well, you love it. He always <coughs> asked for some tongue, and I said, no, John. <laughs> um, <laughs> Also got Ferris Sultan in there. He's always you know, consistent. Uh, ben Hoffman. Going to be interesting to see how he goes. Yeah, this year. really is because eh? after backing up Kona, because it was it was an amazing result and mm. and a bit of a surprise. You don't think anyone's picking Ben to get that high in Kona. Um, does he? Was it just a one-off fluke? You do, and you do get the one-off flukes in Kona. Not necessarily the guys that win it, but you do get guys who get second and third, and then you're like, well, well, how did that dude go? Yeah, like Luke, like Luke the year before. Yeah, you know. And again, these guys are of pedigree, but they don't have the consistency, you know, yeah. outside of Kona or in Kona, and they have this one great race. And now, 
chip, you know, obviously you hope these guys go on to be consistent and get great results. And I think this is the first real test for Ben post-Kona, isn't it? And also it'd be interesting to see if he brings his A game or if he's going, well, I got enough points from Kona last year. Just I just qualify, need to, yeah. to qualify. So whether he is on top form or not. But as we were saying before, the fact that brought it earlier into the season, it, you know, like sheep as creepers, you could probably smash yourself for this time of year and still be strong for Kona. Yep. It's not even like Germany, which is starting to get a little bit too late in the season. Hmm. You know, this race here is probably the perfect time to actually smack one out hmm. and, you know, not affect your Kona. Yeah, some, some other guys in there. You've got Ronnie Schildnick. He's always a pretty consistent performer. And uh, and then a bunch of you know other really solid sort of second-tier guys that could knock any of those dudes off if they are uh, got their A game. Probably the most interesting one out of the sort of non-seeded athletes would be Lionel Sanders who can, you know, undoubtedly one of the best 70.3 athletes in the world and probably should have done my P's, but I'm pretty sure he won Florida last year. Why don't you look at my man Florida from last year because he hasn't got a rating here, but from memory, that the reason because of that is they cancelled the swim, but I'm almost positive that he won a race last year. Girls side of things, uh, got a pretty similar level of strength in the field. Top rated athlete and according to Torsten should dominate the dojo, Rachel Joyce. She's predicted to come in at 8.49 and she is really is one of the most consistent performers of, out of all the women. It's pretty rare that she has a bad race. She has some average races but she often doesn't have you know, bad races. But a lot of other good girls in there. you got Kelly Williamson, Lindsay Corbin, Karina Abraham, Leander Cave and she's another one that I keep harping on about I wonder if she's ever going to get back to that the lofty heights where she just had that un, you know, unbeatable year where she won 70.3 in Kona in one hit uh, you got Heather Jackson and Angela Neath and uh, Heather Wirtle who is only seated 10th but based on her 70.3 form she could just absolutely crush this field so yeah it should be two you know they're two races that are fairly hard to predict so hopefully we see some good racing and another um, race where they're going to have the new timing system so I'll be interested to see how that sort of pans out Okay so um, it was really interesting if you look at 2013 he pretty much won everything he entered admittedly it was kind of um, you know, not big, big races, but he's obviously a pretty sharp runner because he's won oh, quite yeah. a few half marathons. Yeah, no, the dude, that he's he's the fast, not the fastest. He is on par Fast. with the fastest runners uh, in seventy point three. Uh, so he did win Florida, and he got fourth in the World Champion seventy point threes. So, so he's pretty high pedigree here. Yeah, so uh, he's he had a pretty successful year last year overall, although. Yeah. Oh, you know, pretty great view. And it's an interesting story. We have to get him on the show before. I've heard him interviewed elsewhere, and yeah, you know, he used to be uh, he's sort of a drug addict, and uh, oh, really? come back from from, wow. from there. So with with not a lot of uh, sporting history, so pretty naturally talented athlete. Jeez, that must be awesome, eh? Mm-hmm. You know, you turn your life around, and then uh, and then you know you you, you you don't even know you're an athlete. Like that's the person I find really interesting because you've got the person who was an athlete. Fell off the wagon, woke up one day, shit, I need to get back to sport, and, you know, they're successful. Mm. Then you get the guys like this who kind of done nothing, and they thought, oh, mm. just getting fitness, and then suddenly they're really just amazing. Oh, mm. does my head in. Okay, Jombo, um, let me have a look at my notes here. We've also, what's coming up? Got Hits Grand Junction and Iron Cat. And one other thing on the Hits, I actually just emailed them yesterday. I'm going to arrange an interview with someone from Hits to figure out where they're going with their Hits series. You know, it's um, they don't really go after the the pros or anything like that. And the you know the Iron Distance race of their events is just sort of another tack on to what they're already doing. So just to figure out the the general direction do, they're going. Have you looked at the results recently? Like like what kind of numbers they're getting? No. 
Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, no, no, no. Well, when, when I looked last year, they were fine. You know, the you know you get maybe five, six hundred up okay. to a thousand at a race, but that's spread over a whole bunch of different events. So it's just a it's a because it was model. the horse organisation, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. I'm pretty sure they still yeah. do that, and now they're doing running events as well. Okay. Um, Iron Cat, where's that? Iron Cat is in Spain. Just a. Just a, a Spanish race. Yep, that was uh, good. Uh, we were just a couple of little seventy point three results. We had uh, Vietnam seventy point three happening. My parents had just got back from Vietnam, John. Oh, they could have gone and watched. They loved it. Yeah, they said it was an amazing place to go for a holiday. Mm. I tell they you what, it's an amazing it. performance by James uh, Kanama because he just smoked a high quality field from like coming two, about two minutes down. He ended up winning by. Four minutes. What on the run? Yeah, out out wow. ran Tim Reed by five forty five. Five minutes forty five. Now Tim Reed didn't look like he had a very good run, but you've also got Terenzo Bozzoni there, Cyril uh, Vino, Josh Amberger, and Freddie Kronberg in sixth place. But he just uh, it must have been hot. I don't know. Again, this is just result looking and speculating from the results. But he just to win a seventy point three by by four minutes against that caliber of field is. Uh, it's the, the business. It nice is work. the busyness, Jombo. Caroline Stephan, uh, somewhat of a similar performance. She uh, ran down Liz Blatchford, who ran away from her, and then uh, she managed to run her down when Liz um, faded a little bit in the heat and uh, ended up winning by two minutes. So good victories there for those guys. And then uh, Maloka. Uh, Andreas Dreitz and Daniela Reef took out uh, fairly good victories there. And we've got an email through from Pim uh, Vigo and just saying that at Ma- how's that? Mallorca. 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 Uh, 70.3 that uh, the Wave Swim start uh, basically they had 3,000 probably nearly 3,500 people competing at that race. That is phenomenal isn't it? It's ridiculous, and so it's a um, whim. Basically, Pim sent this to this email saying, you know, how all the wave starts were broken up, and some age groups were split by um, by. So you actually, so so like, if we look at the age groups, so basically, race started at um, the pro men started at ten to eight. Pro women three minutes later, and then it pretty much just went five minutes from that. So from basically eight o'clock through to nine twenty, they had wave starts going, mm. and some of the bigger categories. So if we look at the category of men forty to forty-four, they had four different wave starts. No, sorry, two different wave starts. So some categories they had two different wave starts based on the alphabetical order of your name. So A to M for forty um, went to nine oh five, and then nine oh ten uh, N to Z went. So this is nothing new for you guys in, in America who have these massive 70.3 races, but man, I, I had a guy um, racing over there and he, was, he spent the whole bloody day trying not to crash into people on the bike. Oh, really? And so it's just getting out of hand. Three and a half thousand people on a course, especially in Mallorca where it was a hilly course, he, he just said it was outright dangerous coming down the hills. He said, I, I'm not the, he said, I'm not the greatest descender. Mm. This was just ridiculous. And he said every corner that he came to, somebody had fallen off. So um, it's just it's just getting out of hand how many people they're having at these races, in my opinion. Three and a half thousand. Thousand. Mm. If this is a running race, no big deal. Yeah, yeah well, running is different. But um, multi laps and stuff uh, on the run, you're trying to dodge people, and it's okay. Just, so it's so let's, let's look at this. <clears throat> if you were to have three and a half thousand people, and like I know you're probably saying, well, there's too many people. But if you were to make it work, how could you make it more effective? Like, do they do, do they need way starts that actually like it's a more of a longer day? So you might go, okay, that we have a way start starting every fifteen minutes, or um. 
I haven't really given it any thought. I just think there's too many people. <laughs> you just yeah, limit it to to you know do the maths and figure out right. We yeah, need to have profit. Uh, we we need to have enough people on this course so we can make it financially work. But at the same time, we want people to have an experience where yeah, you, know, you can ride along and you can ride your bike at the pace that, within reason. That is. Um, and how can you not make that race draft? Yeah, you just, you're just riding past packs. Yeah. So, but at the same time. I mean, do your research before you go to these races, and if you know there's going to be three thousand people there, you're going to go. Well, that's going to be. So the person who did it never go back. Um, didn't say, didn't say, but you just sit on the bike. You just, you couldn't, couldn't get into a good rhythm because you just got people around you all the time. So, I don't know. Just another point. Yeah, well, yeah, interesting. It's a lot of people, and, and yeah, and so um, interesting stuff. And, and let's be honest, that's, you know, WTC, that's what they love. You know, that's what they want is lots of people races. So for them, that's that's a win. So it's like, how do they manage that if they are mm. going to have that kind of field? Jonbo, we've got a question here. I'm forwarding you a message from my local pro here in Richmond. The Challenge Series has absolutely screwed him this year by withdrawing all pro money. It is unbelievable they would withdraw all the prize purses at such short notice with these pros having to seize set this season in place so this is from Eric uh, Lim Lim come in this was from a couple of guys that I know in uh, Richmond Virginia he's their sort of local pro hero and he, he'd basically gone you know I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do all these challenge races so he'd lined up challenge um, uh, so what's basically happened is pretty much all the challenge races in Rev North America uh, well they used to be Rev3 they yeah. got bought, and bought, bought by Challenge Challenge Quasi Challenge Atlantic City Challenge uh, Pocono Mountains Challenge Maine Challenge Cedar Point um, they basically just pulled all the prize money that was uh, previously um, put up there for those races so it's not a good look for Challenge um, no it's not a good look is it it's not especially at this late, no late notice for someone like Eric who's gone right that's my season whether he's booked anything or not but Regardless, he has, now he's got to go, well, shit, that's how I was, I was planning to peak for all those different races. So I get where Challenge are coming from. I'm, I'm assuming that one of the reasons they said was um, because there was poor demand by the pro athletes. And I understand that. There's so many races on now. Um, so, so they're saying the pros aren't really turning up or, or it's only like third or fourth tier guys. And, yeah. and so what's the point of putting money on the on the table? Exactly. And I, again, I often come back to my little example of my little pro race, not my little race that I do out here, no, you know, five, big, 500 big people, and, and I have prize money up for, for an elite race, and, and last year ended up having to cancel the race because of the water quality, etc. Yep. But anyway, um, I was having a similar thing. My pro elite race is getting a little bit weaker each year, and I'm like, I'm putting up this bloody money. But yeah. at the same time, I think it's an obligation that you have uh, as a – someone who's trying to make money out of the sport which challenge are doing with these events I think you've got an obligation to the pros to have some prize money um, but the other thing is once you've locked and loaded booked it in yeah it's, it's, it's the after the it. fact problem isn't it like if they yeah. if they gone and said look Atlantic City it's a non-pro race look because WTC have that now don't they yes you know they have done which race was that one of the Ironmen oh a number of them yeah you know, there's, no, there's no prize pro hmm. race as such and so Fair enough, that's the way you're going to put it. But if you kind of say one thing and then renege on it, that's, that's a little bit of a harder pill yeah. to swallow. So at the end of the season, they said, series hasn't been supported. Next year, no prize money. Yeah. Fair enough. Sucks, yeah. but okay, I get, get where you're coming from. We're going to invest our invest that money elsewhere. I, my personal opinion is you should still have prize money because you're profiteering out of um, out of the sport. Uh, anyway, it's just a, it's not a good look. What's the minimal? Sorry? Well, let's say instead of having nothing, what do you think is the minimal amount? 
I don't know. It's got to pluck it under. Yeah, it's got to make the event sustainable. So yeah, I've always said with my trifestival, I will have a minimum percentage of entry fees will go to prize money. I end up paying a lot more than that. But yeah, maybe a percentage way is uh, is a good thing to do. Yeah, well then that's fair at least, you know, because obviously because the thing is, as much as we want to give the pros money. Race organisers need to make profit, and so it's kind of that fine line, isn't it? And, and, and on that front, Challenge Gold Coast was also recently cancelled. Um, and when you read up on that, it seems that the reason that was was because the council, or at least Challenge, put out a kind of post saying that uh, it was they were challenged to get council support and sponsorship support for the race, so they had to pull the plug on it, mm. which is a bit of a bugger. So bad week for challenge. Yeah, if this really was WTC, sad. we'd be slamming them. Yeah, but I think totally. it's, we've it's got to go fair enough ways. that yeah. you know, both these things. Uh, don't look like Challenge Gold Coast. I think was scheduled for August or something like that, and I know people that have already had already booked in for that. So again, <clears throat> that's poor planning. Um, and if you're going to have a race uh, of a significant race, you know, you've got to get it bloody well organised. Yeah, well, well yeah. So, uh, so the uh, uh, events crew, Emily Swass, says, sorry, she commented the inaugural race in 2014 was a great event, but financially it wasn't successful for the company, running at a loss. Well, a lot of uh, funds go into such an event as this, and we were seeking funding from the council and sponsorship through commercial parties. Unfortunately, these funds did not come through, therefore it wasn't an option for 2015. So that's pretty much the end of the race, really, unless something, unless something changes. Mm. But yeah, it's I suppose that's the thing with these races nowadays. It must be so expensive to put on a race like that. Yeah, it you is. You know, like you need, you, you know, a lot of money. And so, you, A, you've got to get the numbers, but... You've got to get the support of the community and, and the sponsorships around it to kind of make it viable, don't you? Mm. But, you know, got to get that stuff sorted pretty pretty quickly. You know, you've got to be planning for next year's event when this year's event's coming up. Yeah. So you've got, you can you can do that. So, again, these aren't, you know, these aren't little, your little local sprint triathlon. These are events that people are going to travel for. Mm. So it does inconvenience people quite some significantly. Okay. So Challenge, pick up your game. Challenge, sharpen up. Okay, John, Bahrain Endurance 13 team got announced and they have a team of big hitters, John. So we announced a lot of these names last week and I was trying, I couldn't quite figure it out because I was thinking, I'm sure I'm counting up more than 13 here and there is more than 13 but they have their sort of Bahrain Endurance 13 team and then they have their Bahrain Endurance racing team which is some slightly less accomplished um, athletes and maybe they will they will shift into the endurance team you know, going forward. So the names that got added from last week, as I predicted, uh, Caroline Stephan's name was announced and yep. she didn't announce her last week. And also that just got revealed yesterday, I think, or the day before, Sebastian, Sebastian Keenlay. And I don't think we had Ben Hoffman on the list last year or maybe Joe Gambles yep. either. So full list is uh, Gomez, Jody Swallow, James Carnamar, Luke Bell, Joe Gambles, Terenzo Bozzoni, Ben Hoffman, Sam Appleton, who's an up-and-comer from Australia, uh, Brent McMahon, Caroline Stephan, Jan Fredino, Daniela Reef, and Sebastian Keenlay. And then on their racing team, you got Macca, Josh Amberger, who's another up-and-coming Aussie, Paul Ambrose, who won Ironman Australia last week or the week before, David Pleece, who I think is based out there in the Middle East somewhere, as I think is Eric Watson. And then you've got Frederick Kronberg, who's on this week's show, and Domenico Pasellio, who I'm pretty sure he was the guy that won Taiwan a few weeks ago, but he beat Cameron Brown. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Pretty, 
strong team and we can speculate all we want about what they're going to achieve this year but they are, they are already winning a lot of races um, but it's just going to be interesting to see whether you know the outcome of the teams as you heard from Macca last week is about developing the sport and getting bar 80 people more active and whether they're able to tick that off or whether they just go around the world uh, winning lots of races. Well I find this really interesting because when we think back to it there's, always, there's in the last 10 years there's always been this aspect of uh, that part of the world putting money into our sport mm. and all sports yeah yeah but particularly you know, like in triathlon there's been these big kind of mm. Abu Dhabi and yeah yeah teams that have gone through there and none of them have really been a sustainable product you know mm. that, that they kind of have come along you know some people have made some money out of it um, and so I haven't I earlier didn't listen to Mecca's interview so I'm not quite sure what the insight is but from what I can understand it seems that it's really motivated about getting the everyday people in in mm. Bahrain actually exercising and so to use those kind of people as inspiration so it'll be interesting to see if that does flow on to that because I don't know like a, just putting a name on a pro is that going to help people do that I suppose how you build exposure there's so much around it isn't there there is and what Macca was sort of insinuating last week is whether this could be the start of trying to introduce the sport into some bigger brands and some bigger companies in terms of you know, the connections that the the royal family have got in Bahrain, whether somebody else, you know, some other major big company, some blue chip goes, right, this, yeah. is, this is slightly more serious now. Or, um, yeah, there's, there's potential, at the moment, you know, if they just wear the Bahrain label and just go around doing that, in three or five years' time, it just goes, right, we'll go off and now it's going to be some, some other brand that's going to be on their t- tops then, I don't know, but if it... It seems there's like potential. a noble cause. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. potential for this to, to, to change things a bit. So, uh, Gomez is doing 70.3 staffs. Did you know that? 70.3 staffs? Mm. Staffordshire? Uh, maybe. It's called staffs, yeah, probably. Yeah, that's in the UK. Interesting. Yeah, in uh, June. Yeah. Yeah. One of my guy coaches doing that. That's a weird choice. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, someone's sent someone's through an email saying he's doing it. Maybe he's trying to... You know, just look after WTC. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. Well, he probably has to do enough to get points for um for 70.3 worlds so he's probably got to do a race somewhere because he'll have huge amount of, he's got to qualify for 70.3 worlds assuming that's going to be a main target for him he'll have heaps of points from getting but isn't he, th- <coughs> isn't he, he re- already the champion <coughs> uh yeah but i don't know if he that won automat- the last year, didn't he? yeah but i don't know if that automatic doesn't automatically give him a slot for the for the following year he's probably get, got a huge amount of points so he probably just has to like tick a box a bit like the the kona guys um so he's got to do a 70.3 somewhere and i don't think off the top of my head that he's done one yet so maybe that just fits in well with his timing well, here's what he said uh, i really enjoyed it i'll be excited to be racing at Staffordshire, and i am much hoping to follow on my success at the 70.3 world championships uh i enjoy non-drafting races so i'm really looking forward to the racing at 70.3 distance obviously a victory would be fantastic but my preparation is not specifically for winning this race it'll be a great part of this new event it has also added the appeal of the weather not being too hot your guys weather sucks yeah that's what he's trying to say that's what he's saying Uh, Gomez will also be heading for John's ITU update which this week heads to Yokohama and he was on the start list there so I would say this is the least exciting race of the ITU circuit it's funny oh oh, really sorry talk about it for a second go it's just uh, laps around a fairly uh, I don't know Look, it looks okay but it's there's, there's nothing to the course it's just a lap course and doesn't doesn't get me too excited. Should be sprint distance. It's funny when we think about like a lady I was speaking to yesterday she, at the gym. She did the Paris Marathon, 
53,000 people, I think she was saying. And, uh, you know, when you think of a running race, like they're all different types of events, but you know, when you go to an event like that with more people, it's just such a cool thing. You know, like I've never done mm. a big city marathon and, uh, but, you know, I think of my time I will. Um, and, I, and I do like the idea of, you know, running with 50,000 people must just be a buzz yeah. and the crowds and all the rest of it. But in our sport, the, the increased volume of people which becomes a burden. Yeah. You know, because it's just this, this staffs or staffishire. It's going to have around just under 3,000 competitors as well. So, again, it's a number that John's not happy with. Shaking my head. I'm just thinking about my guy that's racing. He's, he's a strong athlete and he's a weaker swimmer. He's just going to have a bloody nightmare. Yeah. And so, but you know, like, it's unfortunate that, like, is it that they make it drafting? Like, if you made no, a drafting, would it work people. better? No. No, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be dangerous, but it just, it's just but would too it be many dangerous? Like, really? Would it be dangerous? Because soccer races have, I've heard soccer races have, yeah, there's skill. No, triathletes have got no skill. They're on aerobad <laughs> bikes, and no. So, but what if you banned aerobad bikes? Oh, that would make it a hell of a lot better. Yeah. So if you went draft legal, but you're unallowed aerobars. Yeah, that would work better. It's but almost like that's still, where they have to go, isn't it? Well, if they're going to have these types of numbers. Because uh, otherwise you've got the experience of the whole time you're either consumed by the fact I'm drafting or I'm, or or it is unsafe because you're trying to keep gaps and all this kind of... So yeah. the safety aspect of it is that if I want to get you know 5,000 people to race, mm. maybe it has to be a drafting a bike and then you have to make restrictions on the bike that make it safer I wouldn't feel comfortable in a draft legal race <laughs> personally I th- oh as in just like ethically with the race no just safety wise I mean yes it's safer not having aero bars but I still I don't mean I don't really do much bike racing anymore um, but when we when we race you know we're usually racing with fairly competent people yeah. but most people who do triathlons have got no bike skills. It's commonly no bad. Just slap the whole it's, <laughs> the audience it's in terrible. Place. You got we go on camps and you know, most some of the people that come on camps have never ridden in packs Pet, before. Yeah. You know, we train on our compu trainers and our and our kickers, also, which is training. absolutely fine. Yeah. Because you're training for an individual event and most people just don't feel comfortable doing it mm-hmm. and they don't practice it, so they're not gonna be any good at it. When you're a cyclist, most of the time you go out riding, you're in a pack. You get used to it, you learn. People tell you how to do it. Most triathletes don't have a clue and that's not being mean or anything it's just fact yeah. well we don't so the so solution much. is i'm sorry it's just less people <laughs> yeah well i don't think it's gonna happen but so it'll be interesting no. to see how they solve that problem um okay john's sponsor oh no question of the week or oh, sponsor okay we'll do sponsor <laughs> extreme endurance okay now if you are doing if, if all you people that did uh, ultraman at the weekend listen up you should have if you hadn't taking your execute you're probably now going to be suffering the consequences why it's a, basically their protein drink yeah it tastes delicious so oh if you okay. had your execute just, it's, it's a pre-energy lactate and post-recovery protein drink so it comes now in uh, a really nice pre-sealed bag which is a hell of a lot easier to carry around than a than a big bucket full of stuff it gives you 20 grams of protein to rebuild and protect against muscle breakdown it gives you 150 milligrams of lactate 18 amino acids Lower, lowers exercise-induced body acid and greater muscle recovery and, prevere, uh, and repair. Also, it has added vitamins, B6, B12, vitamin D, and electrolytes. Best of all, uh, well, it's also gluten-free, so for all you gluten-free people, uh, you can take this. And great chocolate taste. It does have a great chocolate taste. And also no RBGH or 
HFCS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, those dangerous <laughs> products, I tell you. Dangerous. Stay away from those <laughs> things, I tell you. I have to say, they've got creatine, John. I've been back in the gym. You probably noticed, yeah. you know, I'm looking like an incredible Hulk nowadays. Yeah. And uh, I might get some creatine, so I might get some creatine from a good nice. old good old creatine. Have you ever tried creatine before? Yeah, ages ago. Did it help but, for triathlon? Wouldn't help uh, for triathlon, would it's, it? It's, it's, yeah, it's it's hard to tell. That some of those things, like with, with all the extreme endurance products, you know, and, and with any supplements, you often go, is that buddy working or not? It's mm. really hard to tell. But the, uh, I love the the execute. Hard to tell with, with that in terms of your repair. But uh, we, we, you know, there's a lot of science out there telling you about the protein enhance, enhance your repair. But the two products that they've got in terms of the extreme endurance product and the immune boost those are the two that i go i see a significant difference and you don't yeah it's just like no your brain. muscles are less sore and when i take the immune boost when i'm getting sick boom it, it helps me out so i remember when good i used products. to do weights i used to do creatine and uh man it made a big difference mm-hmm. you, you yeah it would you definitely your strength was yeah you'd have to kind of go off and on it you'd have to cycle it pretty well but there was mm-hmm. definitely yeah it worked really well check it out xendurance.com <coughs> okay jumbo discussion of the week so last week's discussion <coughs> excuse me the frog's back in my throat uh last week's discussion was would having equal representation at kona slots increase women participation rates with the nine men so the question was really an age group question around if we just said same for men and women and age group racing at Kona would we get more females participating in in all different Ironman races around the world and Eden, uh, yes, it would increase female participation, uh, professional participation, which would encourage more competitive women, which in turn increases participation levels overall due to there being more role models and more opportunity. It's not an argument about whether more slots one year will lead to more women this year. It's a long-term message that would be sent for the future of the sport. Okay, I've got a good old tin... Han, uh, he's got, uh, on the same topic, I listened to Andrew Messick's comments last week, he made some good points. Uh, what he didn't say though is that it's as sorry, females' participation grows, so would should the number of pro slots assigned. And so it seems that Andrew's idea that the number of pro slots will approach equal as female participation grows. I think this is silly though. It's 15 slots, it's a negative publicity is not a relatively small community. The triathlon community isn't worth it. I see no reason to measure the pro slots by gender participation rates. I do understand and agree with age group slot allocation based on the participation sizes. Pro slots and age group slots are different and should be allocated by the same, shouldn't be allocated This by question was sort of, yeah, kind of specified yeah. to try to be around age group women slots. Phil Wilson, women aren't avoiding triathlon because of the lack of Kona slots. They just have less need to do something to impress their friends or become the alpha female. Plus, more of them are probably probably shy away from the sport so, because they're so obsessed. Uh, plus, more of them probably shy away from a sport so obsessed with looking good. Jumbo, he, <laughs> he just kind of slapped all the girls who do I'm in the face then, but hey, that's okay. Richard Swan, Swanee Noah, he's got, this would make no difference on participation. The amount of people that specifically decide to enter an Ironman with the sole aim of qualifying for Kona are such a tiny minority of entrants. Doing this would create such an uproar that it would never be contemplated, especially as it would mean it would be far easier to qualify as a female with smaller age group fields. Jim Sklansky, the point 
is that a message is being sent to young triathletes or new, tri- or new triathletes that one of our leaders in the sport does not care about making it completely equal. It doesn't matter if every woman who does a try wants to go to Kona. It's a principle that our sport, for the most part, a leader in gender equality, and we're stopping just short of it being complete. John, but you know what I got this week? What? A letter from the dentist. <laughs> so, you know, like last week I was saying, yeah. <laughs> Christine McKinley, she's our dentist. Yeah. Um, I doubt it. I think the age group system is fair enough as it is done on a pro barter racist. Biology dictates the female participant in triathlon. Many of my friends who have been in triathlons or cyclists in a previous pre-children life are now just runners due to the ease of being able to fit it around children, etc. More kind of slots for either age group women or pros won't change that. Right, I think I had uh, one more. Rob McNamara. Yes, it will encourage more women, but discourage the men who are currently close to qualifying, assuming less slots for men. Why stop at equal slots for age group men and women? Why not just have the same number of slots for every age group? I think he's saying that a little tongue-in-cheek. Okay. We've got um, Tom Ward. Have you done Tom Ward? No. Whoa, he's got a big one here. Maybe no, yeah. skip that one. <laughs> Maybe. Bullet points, people. Get your points across in bullets. Okay, or, I'll go on. Cameron Griffiths, he's got it right. What about the transgender? <laughs> Give him a slot. Excuse the pun. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, next one? Uh, I'm done. Oh, okay. Um, I'll do one more. Um, Tony Hodge, no. No. There you go. Well done, Tony Hodge. Okay, okay Jonbo, your thoughts? Well, I think Richard Swan brings up a good point. I don't think for attracting new people to the sport, having more kind of slots is necessarily going to do that. Um, but I do think that it would help more in the retention of women in the sport. So if you're a woman and you maybe you rock up and you do your, your first race and you finish in, uh, let's say, 15th place, and you look at the list and you go, well, there's two slots in my age group, I'm miles off second, I'm probably never going to get to Kona. But if you were equally, if you had finished fifteenth and there was five or six slots, you might go, "No, I'm not quite that far off there." And so I think it'd probably help in the retention. But the question was, would it draw more people to the sport? I don't think it and more females to the sport. I don't think it would, um, but I think it would probably help with the retention of things. I do think that females get uh, it's harder for females to qualify for Kona than males in some regards because so often in the results. You know, you have, and, and especially the older age groups, you have one or two real standout athletes and say, the 40 to 44, and both the males and females that are often significantly ahead of other people, either they're ex-pros or they're ex-elite athletes in individual sports. Um, but then it kind of drops down quite quickly and you sort of have the more... Uh, a close, closer bunch group of athletes. So for the guys in those age groups, you can kind of see, I oh, write the seven slots. I'm miles off second, but you know I'm not that far off seventh. But for the girls, it's sometimes I just think it'll be, it's just a bridge too far. But is it? But in saying that, I hear your point. But at the same time, if we look at the pedigree of the athlete, a guy who's you know 15 off, he's actually probably a better athlete because you're probably comparing. Let's say it's a 15th place girl. It's probably with two slots. You're probably thinking the guy of that level would probably be a 30 place guy. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? It's So the pedigree, you know, because you've got a lesser field. So if you've only got 100 girls and you've got 400 guys, well, if I'm the 100th guy, then in theory I may be the equivalent of the 25th girl. But maybe if we narrow it down a bit more and say I'm the third, I'm the third place girl and say the 35 to 39 
and you're going to miss out on a slot if you're third versus, say, the seventh place guy in the 35 to 39, are they sort of of equal centre? It's, it's a very hard argument yeah, it's a, it's and it changes one. so much from race to race. But I guess for the main point of, and I've made this point before, I think it's a lot less predictable for the females <clears> when they go to a race, they're going, Shit, who's going to turn up? Uh, that's going to have a massive indication on whether I qualify versus the age groups that have got more slots, so the 35 to 39 men, you can go and go look back at the history, it's, it's a lot yeah, more predictable. There predict- might be three rock stars, but then if you're that second tier. Yeah. So there's no easy solution, <coughs> but I do think that maybe... Uh, well, generally speaking, I think most people think this is the way it's happening when the age group right now is pretty fair. It, it's pretty fair. Yeah. And... and I would probably rather have it swing a little bit further towards the woman to give them um, probably a few more slots personally. I don't, but I, I don't think it would draw more people to the sport. No, and that was the question. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think that. In, it, it, a most people don't even think about Ironman in their life. Yeah, <laughs> most people most people aren't even moving. So <laughs> the idea of doing an Ironman is just ridiculous. But uh, what would draw more more women to the sport? I don't. I don't know if the. the carrot of Kona is that much of an appeal mm. first of all once you know maybe eventually once I've done an Ironman that might become an appeal mm. um, but yeah I, I don't know if it would definitely bring more girls to the sport okay this week's discussion Jombo this week's discussion comes through and what's the noise you most about professionally run events where you pay significant entry fees and this stemmed from this bloody race where they had 3,300 people I was like okay. man I'd be really annoyed with that so what annoys and I'm not so I'm not talking about yeah, again your local sprint triathlon but when you go to like it's a, a big a, event you're a, paying a thousand bucks a challenge race or a WTC race or an ITU race so, you know the, let's, the, the let's bigger be positive events. John because we're a bit negative lately. let's go one good and one thing you absolutely love one thing you love one thing you don't, which really annoys yeah, you, because we've been a bit on the downer side recently, mm. and I'm a it all started guy. with you bloody parking your your running group <laughs> at the <laughs> at that soccer field. It's my fault, of course. Yeah. So so so, what's one thing you absolutely? Because this is the thing. Like I know one time I, I sometimes worry about our show is that. We don't want to be whingers. Well, we're, we're, there needs to be accountability. And in a world where it's a very small world, our show needs to kind of do that role. But at the same time. Most people go to an Ironman and have the most amazing experience mm. of their life. Mm. You know what I mean? Like most people turn up to an Ironman race, even you, you know, when you go to Ironman New Zealand last year, it was an awesome experience, wasn't yep, it? And, and they deliver and, and, and WTC are doing a fantastic job. Now, we do need to kind of pull them up on the things they need to be pulled up on. But sometimes when you live in this world where this is all you focus on, you, you sometimes kind of forget that actually most people pay, pay their whatever it is, thousand bucks into a race nowadays. They turn up, they're happy with the investment, they don't feel let down by it. Hmm. And, you know, so there is this kind of, actually the majority of the time they're doing a great job. Hmm. Here's some areas we need to focus on. So we want to see one positive thing and one negative thing or one thing that you feel annoys you about those races where you do invest that little bit more money. I've got to go for a wee break, so let's have a A wee break? As in like a little break or as in offload? Offload. Offload, okay. You have an offload break. The offload has happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> offload has happened. Oh <laughs> Do you remember Revenge of the Nerds? There's one scene in Revenge of the Nerds, and I know like it's a high quality comedy, obviously, but um, there's one scene where one of, who was the guy who was the big booger guy, not booger, but the big kind of. Oh, I can't remember the name. Remember Revenge of the Nerds? Mm. They were mad, great films when we were kids. And uh, there's one scene where he, the whole scene, he goes, he just <laughs> goes to the toilet and he just oh, starts yeah. peeing. Just and the whole going. scene he's peeing yeah. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching my dad. My dad's quite a quiet and unassuming guy, 
But I loved when, as a kid, when my dad would laugh, yeah. and, my dad, and my dad was just cracking up laughing. Oh. And so one time I was, in, I was in Florida doing some work over in Florida, and I went to the toilet, and they had, God knows, they had a, 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 um, a hose. Mm. It must have been to clean your bum with, you know, right. <laughs> next to the toilet, like as yeah. a hose. And so I went to the toilet, and whenever I go away from work for work trips, for some reason, and I'm the guy who doesn't drink or do anything, my room becomes the party room. I don't understand yeah. it. So it was early tonight, I had about six people in my room, which is having quiet drinks and stuff. So I thought it'd be genius if I did that joke. Yeah. So I sit, I go in the toilet, and I, I leave the door open, and I get the hose, and I just, I'm <laughs> 20 minutes just yeah. there, just <laughs> with the hose. I think I'm being a comic genius, walk out, nobody noticed. Oh, yes. oh, <laughs> nobody noticed that. Oh, they're just gossiping away. Um. Ah, uh, anyway, um, Jumbo stats tastic. It's fantastic. Okay, what's the stats tastic? Right, the stat for this week is we talked about uh, How Tao, who we've got coming. Yeah. up. we've done an interview with him last week, and he's going to be coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, but he had a fantastic race in the London Marathon. It was a really cool interview, wasn't it? Mm. It was a really good insight into. Um, you know, how, how do you kind of break it to that next level? Way eh? mm. mm. he did a great job. Mm. And somebody else sent an email after we'd had some discussion around that about a world record that was set at the London Marathon. I know this isn't tri-specific, but still pretty interesting, I think. Mm. So, Graham Green ran 232.02. Graham Green was first vet in the 50s. Wow. 232 at the age of 50. Apparently eighth on the all-time UK list. He turned 50 a few days before the race. His son, Ben, ran... I think everybody loves how Kiwis say Ben. They go, what the hell? Name? Ben. Well, how you meant to say Ben? Ben. 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 How's Ben <laughs> yeah. going? His son Ben ran 2.30.20. They broke their own Guinness World Record for the fastest father-son marathon at the same event. His other son finished in 2.58. Slacker. <laughs> Who wrote that email? I don't know. I, I forgot. Let me see if, let me see if, if I can, can find, find it. it. Yeah. So he, the, whoever sent this email in that Bevan's going to find. So the question being... What's the farthest father and son or mother and daughter fastest. combo at an Ironman? Oh, Jumbo, guess who it is? What? Tim Heming. Oh, Tim Heming. Delivers. Oh, sorry. Delivers. The breaker. Breaker. Yeah, the breaker. Breaker, breaker, Charlie. <laughs> so that would be an interesting question. If you know anybody who has a father and son, mother and daughter combo at an Ironman race, how fast that been? The only one that springs to mind for me, I remember years ago um, when Laurie Bowden was racing at Kona, she was part of the NBC coverage and she was racing Kona as an age grouper and I can only imagine she probably won or finished yeah, right up high, there. Yeah. <clears throat> And her mother was racing as well, but her mother was quite a bit older. So, well, there's definitely lots of family finishes, mm. but the fastest mm. it'd be a hard one to find the record for. But if you know of some kind of high pedigree family who have really maybe smacked out an Ironman, it's, it's obviously about the fastest parent most of the time. Because you know, if you think you, you, your typical Ironman, you, know, you don't get many under 25 Ironmen, so no. your parents going to be yeah. usually 55 and over yep. ish. Unless you're a, a Isles family member, and then your, your parent will be That's 36. Right. That's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the rest of us, uh, you're gonna the, the the parent will be quite a bit older, obviously. So yeah, if anybody knows of any good results on that regard, let us know. So fantastic stat this week from the breaker: two thirty-two and two thirty for father and son combined marathon time. Pretty impressive. That is, There'd that. be a lot of people out there who'd be happy with a five-hour marathon, which is both those their times combined. That is that is pretty phenomenal, isn't it? 
Mm. I wonder how motivated the old man was to try to catch the sun. Yeah. Uh, you know, like two minutes at that time is, is quite a bit, you know, yes, like it a, it's yeah. a big difference, but still it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, in, in some of those straits in London, uh, You'd probably be able to see them up in the distance, possibly. Well, that, that part of the field as well, because you would be alone, wouldn't you? It's mm. not like in the main, because as we talked to Hal, they kind of start the faster guys earlier. So, um, yeah, impressive, man. I wonder if the sun was gutting. Hal would just beat him. Because didn't Hal do 237? Yes. 230.07? He did, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was just in front of him. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay, John, we've got an interview. We have uh, Fred uh, Frederick Kronberg, who has yeah really consistent athlete racing through Asia. Finished was it sixth I yeah, think at the weekend at Vietnam seventy point three. And just has an interesting story. So listen up. Here we go. Righty ho. On today's show, we have uh, one of the stars of the scene in Asia at the moment. Last year, he had you know a bunch of podiums on. Challenge races, WTC races, you know, pretty much everything in between, and also was the winner of Challenge Atlantic City last year, which was his first win over the Iron Distance. His name's Frederick Kronberg, and he's from Sweden, but residing at the fantastic resort in Tanyapura. So welcome along to the show, Frederick. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm really honoured to be in your show. I've got to ask, you know, you're from Sweden, um, and from what I know about you, you ended up in Shanghai, and now you're down in, in Tanyapura, but what was the uh, the journey to get you to Asia and, and ultimately end up staying there? Uh, I think, I mean, maybe yes, no, uh, me from long distance, but I actually did also short distance when I was living in, in Sweden, so uh, I started, I think, I was 17 or 18, and uh, uh, I think you're also familiar with uh, other Swedish athletes like Klaus Björling and mm. Bjorn Andersson and mm. also Jonas Kolting. So I, I competed uh, uh, with these guys when I was living in Sweden, and also Klaus was a very good friend of me, yeah. and he is actually, he's actually from the same area in Sweden, so we were in the same triathlon club and also in the same running running squad. Oh. So, uh, so I think I, I, I got fast quite quickly because I had a lot of these good athletes around me in training and racing, uh, and I did. I, I won the Swedish championship for for juniors, and uh, uh, and and I think I finished university uh, beginning of the two thousand uh, in two thousand two. And after that, I was a little bit tired of triathlon, and I also felt I, I maybe reached my level in short distance. I, I wasn't really getting any better, and I was also ready to to do something else in my life. And at that point, I I just I just searched the in, internet basically to to find something work uh, to do like a normal job. But I think during this time in the beginning of 2000, since I studied IT, it was really hard to get a real job. Mm. Um, so uh, I I got into a lot of internships. So I, I was one year in the U.S. and I was half a year in Holland, and I also had an internship in in Shanghai. So it was just a coincidence. I I went to Asia for the first time. It was because of the internship, and then I got a, actually my first real job in in Shanghai. And uh, yeah, after a few years working there, I. I slowly progressed into triathlon again and then more focused on long distance. 
what I've got to ask, what was the training like in Shanghai? Uh, <laughs> it's not it's not it's not optimal and it's it's quite hard. But I, I think one benefit for me was that I I I know how to train. So I think for a complete beginner to start training in Shanghai is even more difficult. But I think uh, I know how to get the job done and also a lot of the sessions you do indoors and I think when I lived in Shanghai I, I only ride outside once a week yeah. and it's it's I mean it's, it's a lot of traffic and and it's I think it's 20 million people living in the city so it's uh, it's I think that I could ride more I guess but I think it's just mentally tiring when you have to be alert the whole time and you mm. you almost getting hit by cars every time so uh, yeah, it was more more like mentally tiring to train there. We, we had um, Andrew Messick on the show last week, the CEO of uh, of WTC, and he was saying that apparently now there is two thousand members in the Shanghai Triathlon Club. Do, do you see? Do the do the Chinese have any interest in the sport in terms of um, you know the general public participating in it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I first got to Shanghai, I think I know they had a, a event. It was a duathlon, Shanghai duathlon. Actually, it was the one who I did my uh, like comeback into it. But uh, at that point, I think there was just a handful of people doing triathlon. And uh, I know the couple who who started the Shanghai Triathlon Club that's been growing a lot the recent years. And... Uh, I think also you have a lot of cycling races and you have a bunch of ITU races and mm. I think I know they I think also because they have the money to to organize these events so I, I can see it's, it's growing I mean now I've been away from China a few years but uh, yeah it's really taking off there so just um, if we rewind a little bit you said you did um you know, quite a bit of training with Klaus and Jonas, and uh, I'd imagine you probably did some running and swimming with Bjorn, but probably not much biking, because um, nobody seems uh, to bike with Bjorn. No, actually, Bjorn, I never really... I mean, we were both in the national team for juniors, and and I also raised him as a junior. So, and as you said, it's, it's not easy to keep up with him on the bike, and the time when I beat him was usually when he... When he started walking on the run, or you know something happened, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I train. I think class class is probably the one uh, I trained, uh, or at least raced most with, because he he was also the same. We were about the same because both of us was good runners. Yeah. And maybe he struggled a little bit on the swim and okay on the bike. So yeah. uh, me and class. We combined, I think the first years, we combined the triathlon with also running races. Cool. And being Swedish, um, one of your friends was telling me that you used to do cross-country skiing and snowboarding at a, at a pretty high level before triathlon? Uh, yes. Uh, when I was really young, I did um, cross-country skiing because my, my father was doing it and he had an interest. And I, I think when I got... Uh, more older, I, I had a few years when I was not really into endurance sport, and I was more skateboarding, snowboarding, and also played golf. <laughs> so uh, 
<laughs> I think at, at this time of year, I was, yeah, I didn't really like the endurance sport. I think this was more for the, yeah, not not really my type. I mean, it's more, and I think the sport I was best at was probably snowboard, where I did um, also Swedish championship in half pipe. But uh, yeah, it was at a young age. I think I, I basically quit snowboarding when I started triathlon. So mm. I think when I was sixteen or seventeen. Cool. So what what was the motivation to get you know to to not go from recreational triathlete when you were making your comeback to actually race professionally? Because it sounds like you've spent a number of years, you know, building up your professional career in, in IT. And I'd imagine, you know, if you're living in Shanghai, maybe making okay money. And then what what was it why was the what was the motivation then to go to triathlon where making a living is rather difficult um, and uh, going from probably having you know a good level of living to potentially having a you know a lot less income um, unless you've really made you made you know really start to make it big in triathlon uh, yeah I think uh, when I when I quit or moved to Shanghai. I was, I was not. I, I never thought I would start long distance because I, I felt maybe triathlon. Okay, I I still did some running and I did, I think a marathon every year. And when I first came to Asia, there was it was no triathlons and it was really hard to find a swimming pool or, or a bike. But uh, I think after a few years, when I, uh, when I, uh, I think the, the first race I was doing was. I think it was the Shanghai Duathlon, and uh, I, I remember I had a, just a mountain bike in this race, and I, I could win it. And uh, it it also, and I was thinking, oh, this is it's quite fun, you know. It's no pressure, nobody know me, and uh, with with almost no training, you can still win races. So uh, I I got into it a little bit more. I did uh, another race. I think it was in Thailand, a Olympic distance, and uh, it was also. Uh, the first time, I think maybe it's the first time Ironman uh, organized a race in Asia it was the Ironman China mm. in 2008. And uh, we had a small team of people and we decided we trained for this race. And I, I only signed up for the half, half distance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that from there it took off and I started, I mean, I think I always felt I had uh, more potential in the long distance, but... Uh, and I think the first year is doing doing the long distance. I I had no real intention to make money, or it was just you know fun to go away for for a race and also meet your friends. And it was also fun that you I, I was doing quite well. Mm. And uh, I think in 2008, and I think it was in 2009. I mean, I, I was almost winning every race in my mm. in my age group, my first age group. So. Uh, in 2010, I I decided to do it as a professional, but it, it was but it, the decision was mostly because I I wanted to start in the same way as as the professionals or as all the other good people, and uh, it was not to uh, to you know to change my career to uh, to make money off it. It was more like I enjoy doing it and mm. and see see how good I could be, and I think now. Since then, I think I'm still improving every year, so I, I think I'm getting more and more. Uh, I mean, serious and feel I can be competitive at a quite high level, 
but uh, and also now maybe the last two three years I, I can also get a I mean you don't get rich but at least I I don't go minus and I, I can <laughs> yeah. so a, a little bit of money so so um and, and obviously the training in Shanghai wasn't great did you go then straight to Tanyapura and, and if so why did you choose Tanyapura I think I I did probably the first time I heard about Tanyapura was I was here in Phuket for the Laguna Phuket Triathlon and uh, I think there was some rumors about the building uh yeah the building this facilities here and and I think I got in contact with Jürgen Sack, who mm-hmm. just started as the as the coach at Tanepura and I uh, I yeah I exchanged some emails with him and I decided to go for a for some training. Um, so I think the first time I I came he- here, I stayed for two weeks and and uh, <laughs> and then I really I really realized how how nice it was to to train in another place than Shanghai and uh, I think then I got something in my head okay I should you know should should try to move here or because it was probably the best place I I ever been at for training and living in in Asia so uh, I think it was the end of uh, the same year at the end of the year I I finally decided to to move here so I think that was end of 2011 Mm. and uh, yeah Rest is history. So, so now you've you've made that move um, out of the professional world uh, in terms of um, IT. Did you go? Are you now sort of fully professional, or are you doing stuff on the side to to either supplement income, or are you able to survive as a as a you know full time professional athlete? Uh, I think at the moment, I I guess I could still survive just doing the the sport. I mean, at, at least if you see my last year, I had really yeah. a lot of problems and stable results. But I, I still actually do <coughs> IT work, yeah. but it's I can do it from my home, so uh, it's very flexible. And um, so I don't want to. It's nice to have a, a steady income, and it doesn't take. I don't feel it takes away time for my from my training. So uh, I'm quite happy to keep that job as long as it is like now yeah so um it must have been you know just recently you had Ironman Taiwan was uh, might have been the weekend before last um and you ran away from from Cam Brown in that race uh and almost uh, ran up to the win was it quite a, a buzz for you running away from one of the real legends in the sport yeah it was excited and uh, I I've been racing with Cameron before and I think was also actually at the same course uh, the end of last year we did a 7.3 Taiwan and then we did the same thing we started a run together and uh, uh, in the 7.3 Cameron dropped me the first kilometer so and uh, now actually he I, I got a ha, had a little head start from the transition now in in the Ironman and uh, he catch me I think after one kilometer and then actually he got a small gap like 10 meters but uh, I was thinking okay I will give it a shot and try to keep up with him as long as I can and then we ended up running the first seven or eight kilometers side by side and um, and I, I could maybe sense that he was not you know he was not pushing the pace to get rid of me and, mm. 
and uh, I was I was a little bit and then I think it started like a slow downhill and uh, I got a few meters and but I I, I I thought twice about you know going for it because I know Cameron with his background and he's probably a much better pacing uh, pace himself on the run better than me so I, I was a little bit afraid uh, <laughs> to go for it but uh, I think he didn't have a uh, have a good uh, day uh, in in this Ironman, and I think he still was a little bit tired from the New Zealand Ironman the month before. I think I saw a picture of you guys running together, and I've I've obviously seen pictures of you elsewhere around the world. You don't look like you're the biggest guy. Um, how big are you? No, well, I think I'm probably maybe the smallest guy in triathlon for for professional long distance. Um. I'm uh, 165 centimeters. Yeah, and uh, I think I weighed maybe 56, 57 kilos. Great, <laughs> that's good for. Like, uh, uh, do you feel that gives you a good advantage in the heat? You know, you, you know, compare yourself to say um, Bjorn Anderson. You know, Bjorn always struggled in anything hot. Um, did, were you were you always good in the heat? I mean, obviously you live in Asia, but back in the Swedish days and stuff, did you cope quite well with the heat? Yeah, or well, I mean, back in the Swedish day, I think we never have heat in Sweden. Yeah. I think it's only getting warm there, but it was not that I felt I was good in the heat. But I think now, when I race here, I I prefer to race when it's when it's hot, and I think that's also why the Asia races fits me. Mm. And uh, I think. Bigger guys, they can, they can push more. Like especially on the bike, I think uh, they can push all out and still maybe have don't get too tired or overheated if they're doing cooler races. And and for me, I think one of my benefits, I'm I'm quite good at pacing myself, and I can I can be close to my maximum for a long time. Mm. And I think also maybe because I have a smaller body, I think I I I know where my limit is and. Uh, uh, yeah, I know how to uh, to be close to to where I'm possible to do without o- overheating. So I think that's I think for for most people to race in the heat is more like knowing your body and how much you can yeah push before you you get overheated. And I think that's because I'm racing so much here. I I I know how much I can do. Mm. In, in terms of your training, you know, it's obviously very hot in Asia. Um, how do you sort of cope with doing you know the really hard high intensity training which you know is just takes so much out of you in normal conditions but in in stinking hot conditions it just you know it completely when I used to train in Hong Kong the the harder sessions used to wipe me out so um, do you do a lot of really high intensity training and, and how do you handle that in the heat uh, I, I don't do that much, and for example, today is maybe the only time uh, in the week I'm doing uh, some intensity on the run, and then it's not that much. I do like today we did like 50k bike. With a, we pick up the pace a little bit at the end, and then we did some track work uh, four times one kilometer with a 4k cooldown. So I think it's more now. I the, the pace is. Of course, it's a bit a little bit slower than if you would have uh, cooler conditions, and uh, I think it's good to do uh, like I did, we did today. We we combine 
uh, a track set with some biking before, so you don't need to do ten times one k or too much. So you you still get get a good workout, and you start start the, the track set a little bit tired. So mm. it, it helps, and uh, yeah, I think um, it's it's possible to do the the speed work, but I think as I said, you have to you cannot expect to do the same times that you're doing in a cooler weather. And you know, ballpark, um, how much training are you doing on average per week? Are you a, a big volume guy or just somewhere in the middle? I, I would guess I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I'm quite consistent, I would say. I, I don't do any super big weeks and I, I don't have any, like, uh, yeah, or do some weeks to almost doing nothing. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite steady all over the year, I think. And uh, usually here now, I'm doing most of my trainings in the <clears throat> in the morning, yeah. and uh, most of the afternoons I have uh, completely off. Uh, and I think it works good for me because I feel more, I get the chance to recover more for the next day. Mm-hmm. Instead of having two separate uh, trainings, it's hard to recover for me. So, so roughly, how many hours per week? I would, I would say. 25 maybe 2025 and self-coached or you have a coach uh i'm i'm self-coach uh so my, my training is basically basically around uh, the tanapura they have like a daily schedule so mm-hmm. uh, usually i pick maybe the sessions i like and uh, and on the side i'm doing something on my own so it's I think you know the the program at Tanapura is is from Jürgen Sachs, so I would say maybe sixty or seventy percent of my training I I joined the group there, and the other things I'm doing myself on the side. Cool. Um, so obviously you've had some you know, fantastic performances, and you had that win at Challenge Atlantic City. But for you so far in your you know your growing professional career, what what's been the most memorable performance so far? Um, I, I guess it's my win in Shannon's Atlantic City because uh, I think for me I, I, I've been missing uh, uh, wins because I, I had a lot of podiums and, and to finally win a long distance in, in the US it was also special that it was not in Asia because I think mm. a lot of people think oh okay Freddie he's He's doing good, but okay, he's in Asia. Mm-hmm. So it was also good to prove that I, <coughs> I could um, perform outside Asia as well. And um, and finally, I guess you know you do a lot of challenge races and WTC races. So, what are your plans for twenty fifteen? And is Kona a big motivator for you either this year or in future years? Uh, no, I think I. The the years I I always been try to plan a season where I I feel I can have a good result and also maybe make some money and uh, uh, pick the races what I think can fit me and hopefully break even or at least at least break even or or make some money. So if I would try to qualify for Kona, I know because I'm not I'm not one of the top guys. It would not be easy. I would probably have to. To uh, to do races where, where I don't like, and I have to choose Ironman over 
maybe other better paying races or Kona. I felt it would be nice to do do some time and if I would not do it as a professional, I was always thinking I could do it as a age grouper later. Mm. And for me, if I would really try to qualify for Kona, I would also like to be feel to be a little bit more competitive than mm. I am now. And but now I it was not planned, but I, I did uh, Malaysia end of last year, and I did uh, Ironman Taiwan, and also now with Ironman. Um, Ironman, full Ironman Taiwan, I, I, I got Kona points without really trying. Mm. So I think the people who are following the KPR, they say I'm probably safe now for Kona. Mm. So I think if I would qualify, I, I would go just to, uh, to have done it. But uh, yeah, and also you never know. I mean, Kona is supposed to be hot, but <clears throat> I don't expect anything from, from it. But it would be fun to go. Cool. Awesome. And in terms of if people want to follow you, um, how do they do that? And if you want to give any sponsors, any plugs, now is a good time to do it. Yeah, I think people can follow me uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. And, um, yeah, maybe you can write my name in the comment of the yeah, podcast. We can. I think a lot of people misspell it. But uh, I think that's the easiest way to find me. And, uh, Sponsor-wise, I would like to mention Tanepura, where I'm doing most of my training. And also this year, I'm sponsored by Cervelo. And, uh, yeah, also part of the Bahrain team now. That's who we'll be Yeah. Cool. Very good. Oh, no, we love seeing your progress um, on the show. Your name comes up quite regularly with some of those fantastic performances. And... Um, yeah, I guess just in terms of your um, other plans for this year, you know, you said maybe Kona, but what, in terms of your major objectives for the rest of this year, what have you got on the agenda? I think now my next race is Vietnam, uh, 7.3 Vietnam. It's in two weeks, but it's no, it's not, it's no main target for me. My next uh, full Ironman will be Ironman in Cairns. Uh, so I, I think that's one of my my bigger targets this year mm. to do well there, and then uh, I probably will have a little bit bit of a break and and uh, I will see if I do Kona or if I try to do another Ironman. But uh, in the near future, is uh, is mostly focused to Ironman camps. Cool. One final question I had. I saw an interview with you um, some time ago, Bob Babbitt, after Atlantic City, and you said you were planning on doing Embram Man, which I guess must have been maybe last year. Did you end up doing that race or not? Uh, not, but I, I did the race the year before. How, how, how do you find that race? Because it's on my list I would like to do one day. I've ridden over the Col Desard and I've done uh, some other stuff around that area. But that just looks insanely difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place and <clears throat> it's exciting because you you start in the dark and it's no, it's like for normally for pro, you have a separate pro start and it's, it's a little bit calm, not too many people, but there you have dark and everybody's starting at the same time so it's a bit chaotic in the beginning and then yeah already from the beginning you start climbing <laughs> so uh, yeah it's, it's special and and they also add uh, extra 10k on the bike uh, so it's 
<coughs> sorry, it's really hard. Yeah. And then, uh, well, I mean, before I did the race, I, I didn't know that much about it, but I heard, okay, the bike course is, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's a lot of climbing and it's brutal and it's, I think it's 5,000 meters uh, climbing in total. And uh, uh, what people may be not thinking about is that the run is also hilly. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's what I was most, most shocked about, I think, when I did it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the the iron distance race. I is my slowest time. I think I had a bit over ten hours. Yeah, yeah, oh, fantastic. I know we look forward to seeing your career, um, you know, uh, blossom over the next few years. So thanks so much for your time, John. But I haven't listened to an interview yet because I was away. Yeah, uh, what's the gossip? It's just a good story how he's progressed from being a junior athlete and then flagging it pretty much, and then living in Shanghai and just getting back into the sport and realising he's reasonably good at it and just thinking, Why I'd not? like to go to the next challenge. And he's a man of my own elk, a bit like what I've been talking about the last few weeks, going, why the hell would you want to go to Kona mm. if you're a, a second-tier pro and you're not going to make any money? And he sort of says that as well. It's like, well, why would I go? But now he's got enough points to actually go. He's going, well, I might as well go. <laughs> oh, really? Because <laughs> um, he wants to experience it. But at the same time, he says, you know, if, if I hit, I, I qualified. It's not, it's, not, it's not a business decision. Yeah, I qualified just by chance, just through the events that I was doing. And, and he wouldn't go out, chase the points to qualify because he knows he's going to go there and probably not going to get in the top 10. Um, but that was kind of my point, is that they are humans and they want that experience. Hmm. You know, it, like... But I just think that the system should be stacked in a way that, that you could see the benefit. That well, I paying deeper in Kona. Sorry, paying deeper in Kona. I paying deeper, but but um, that you shouldn't sort of be able to qualify just by chance. You know, you should have to go and chase it and have less number of events. So anyway, discuss that. Should we talk you. about st- um, how they do the qualifications? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's put some music on because Coach's Corner's coming. Arno's history lesson. I don't know why I had this listed on the coach's corner. It's got nothing to do with coaching. Um, But really this topic came about through Statstastic a little while ago when Arno sent through Mark Allen winning 10 from 10 in Nice. And Bevan was sort of saying, why is Nice not so popular anymore? You know, it used to be this great race. Uh, Mark Allen used to win it, used to get really good coverage. All the rock stars would turn up and it was just cool. And it's, we actually just interviewed Dan Enfield and he was saying it's a, it's a fantastic race and loved it. And Arno came back and sort of gave us the reasons why Nice has subsided or did subside. There is still an Ironman race there, but it's just sort of these days just another Ironman race on the, on the calendar. So back in the early days, of Nice, there were only really two major events around the world, um, and they were Nice and Kona. So, you know, these days there's events all over the show, um, but back then, Nice and Kona were your big hitters. So that was one really strong point of appeal. Um, there wasn't much competition in the early days, but that did start to build up. Um, but there was still only a number of key events. So he was really saying for the for the sort of hardcore athlete, you'd go right. I'm going to centre my season around a bunch of races, and especially if you're a European athlete, you'd say maybe do the Zofingen Duathlon, which was in Switzerland, which was a big money challenging race, and then maybe you'd do um, Rote or Embraman, which are two you know iconic European races, and then Kona, um, and you'd have Nice. You know, would be part of that so again 
once more events started to come up, there was only a handful of really iconic races, whereas now there's just Ironmans for Africa. Um, and they also made the point that back in the day, for, for rote and things like that, you, you, know, you had to qualify to get into those races, which adds another layer of appeal when you can't just oh, sign up. You, know, you, used to have, you used to have to qualify, just like Ironman Australia, you had to yeah, qualify you to get in. Yeah, you just went through, didn't you? And so that was added another layer of appeal. So in, in his opinion, he really thought it was almost like a perfect storm with Nice being really popular for the, the locals as well. You know, They loved Mark Allen because he was an amazing athlete um, and he loved coming back to Nice and he was just always singing its praises, saying it was a fantastic place. And they won it 10 times. You won it 10 times. Man. Also, Mark Allen spoke perfectly fluent French. Oh, you did know, he? Really, really good French. I saw him doing interviews and it wasn't just pigeon French like I speak. It's uh, He oh. was eloquent and, and spoke, spoke great French. It was a great venue. You know, um, Again, if you listen to the Dan Enfield interview coming up in a few weeks' time on Legends, you know, he just said you're riding through these um, you know, villages and through the, 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 the mountains and stuff. So really cool course. He said it was an accessible price in terms of the entry fee, which was appealing for a lot of people. And it used to be run by IMG, who apparently did a fantastic job of running the event. And it was very well backed by the community in terms of, I think, both financially and in terms of people um, really getting on board with the event and thinking it's a, it's a cool thing for their community. <coughs> Where the demise sort of happened was there was a change in ownership from IMG and they basically, uh, the French Triathlon Federation was... Uh, sold the race or the rate they ended up running the event they moved the timing of the race and then in particular the first year they had the event it was the world long distance uh, championships but they had horrific weather oh, like, really? terrible and they're all standing around on the beach and the pros went off and the age groupers didn't know whether they were going to be able oh, to really? start and it was just a nightmare and, the, and we'll actually have a, a YouTube clip um, that we'll put on imtalk.me that really shows the conditions and it was it was pretty Atrocious, horrific was it? Huh. Um, then they also added in a lot more competitors so this keeps coming back to my point you know early on it was a bit I don't know if elite was the right word, but it was just, you know, it was yeah. more of an individual challenge. You were out there and there wasn't thousands of people around you and there was sort of an appeal around that. And at the same time, um, as time sort of marched on, there was the rise of the other events, which just created more competitions. So um, early on, you know, there was all these positive things going on and then just the sport grew, there was more things, more events going on and, and just a, a number of factors led to the demise of, of Nice, uh, which was, which is a shame. It's funny, but, but isn't it? Because when we think about Kona, what, 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 like what made Kona so special? Now, it's obviously original, it was the home, uh, it was kind of the start of the sport, but also Kona has these iconic stories. And when it comes to Nice, the iconic story is Mark Allen 110. But it doesn't have like the Hoyt, it doesn't have 89, it doesn't have, you know, some of those, like the Julie the, the Moss, yep. you know, it doesn't have those iconic stories. And it's amazing when we think about, you know, I often think about what creates longevity and it is that, you know, it seems to be the stories associated with the event. Mm. And like as much as I'm sure you might get some stories now from um, Arno, but it is, you know, like obviously the numbers in competition, but also what were the stories of Nice? Mm. You know? Yeah. I know we've got the listing, you know, but but you you know what I mean? Like, I just, mm. yeah, maybe. <laughs> the, one thing that Kona's got now is just that exclusivity. Yeah. Know? It's just yeah. so hard to get into. You can't just go, I'm going to go and enter it. And that's, that's what's such a big appeal. So thank you, Arno, as always, for um, providing that. And we will have a little link. We've got a YouTube link which shows that uh, that race when it did sort of change over. But, yeah, he just 
it used to be a fantastic race and they do still have an Ironman race there and you do go through some all those you know, I think it's a pretty similar somewhat similar course but it's um, not the same as what it used to be but still it is uh, I mentioned on the show the last couple of weeks it is one of the races that I would love to go and do just because of that really cool bike course and then you're running up and up and down the promenade des Anglais so it's uh, it's a race that I would like to do one day Peeding an old drum here but back in 1994 John you won 18 grand US if you won it mm. I bet Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so there, there you go Sponsor Sponsor John Who are we going to talk about Athlinks Athlinks It's I did a bit of Athlinks stalking You know how you do Facebook stalking Yeah I stalked your Athlinks account Oh it's been a while since I've done anything Yeah well when, when did you run the Christchurch Marathon Do you remember what you, what time you did Okay my first Christchurch Marathon I would have done in Was it 2000 Close 2001 was it Yes And I think I did 248 Eight? You did. Yeah. 248.02. That was my first marathon. First of first in the 20 to 24 age group. Thought I won my age group. Yeah. According yeah. to Athlinks, you did. I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have a celebration beer tonight. I don't even drink or have a beer. Yeah. Yeah, it was a funny marathon actually because I'd never – I, I was just uh, – when you work in fitness – your job's always about helping other people yeah. and you kind of, when you first get into it, you love it and then after a while, you go, I need something for me and so I thought I'll sign up for a marathon. I don't know what the heck I was doing. I kind of just wrote a program and stuck to it and had a pretty good run. You know, like a- Got 21st uh, male. It looks like you got checked though. 22nd I, overall. Well, this, but what happened was- I'm just checking that out now. It was yeah. the dilemma we talk about. So the dilemma was, um, I was coming up to the finish line and the, chick, the winner was right behind oh, me. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so I literally, in her photo, you see me, and I, and I kind of basically let her pass. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, you can't you can't out-sprint the chat. Clark, yeah, seven seconds in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Whereas, there was another guy, Jim Jones, just in front of you, who out-sprinted her. Well, he was one second behind her. So you must have done the same sort of thing. Because you, you heard all the noise. Yeah. And then you look behind, and he's, you know, the lead woman. I was like, oh, shit, I better slow down a little bit. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but it was it was a real cool experience. But the thing is, on my first marathon, I wasn't that challenged. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, that's what taught me to Ironman because I did the race, which yeah. was it was a, a cycle race here in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, the race was quite hard because I'd never ridden a bike at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I borrowed a bike two days before the race. I'd never ridden a road bike. I took off the pedals and put my my mountain bike pedals, like not even with straps on. Yeah, and I uh, did the race, and it was pretty hard. But I, I did, I think I did three and a half hours on in that time. So, you know, like I was a thick young man. So I had, you know, and then I thought, well, I'll do a marathon. I did the marathon and I did pretty well, but I, you know, I didn't, it didn't kill me. And I, and I thought, well, that's not that challenging. And someone said, oh, mate, you want a challenge? Do an Ironman. Mm-hmm. So then I did an Ironman. God, it killed me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is where I'm going to sit Coming back to Athlinks and we can go 2003, first Ironman. So this is the thing. I mean, I don't know, great first time, man. I think it's about what ten fifty eight or something. Ten fifty nine. You broke the eleven hour barrier. Yeah, but it was a struggle. The last twenty k's was was thirty fourth. I probably underperformed. Like really, I probably would have been closer to a, a ten to ten fifteen guy at that time. Right. You yeah. Know? So thirty fourth and uh, male twenty five to twenty nine two hundred sixth overall. You're beaten by lots of people. Twenty two chicks. Yeah, I was far off there. Yeah. I don't think I ever won the chicks. Oh, really? I don't think I did. I don't, even when I won my category, I don't think I beat the lead chick. Chris Lieto won that year. Won my age group? No, he didn't. I must, must have the wrong results here. Oh. Anyway. Um, Next year I went back and I got sixth, did I? This is the great thing about athletes. Yeah, this you is just, pretty common. You, you, yeah. you can quickly. Uh, so next year I went back and did I get sixth? Well, now it comes down to how often you claimed things. You got seventh in 2000. But like, that's when I qualified for Kona, so the roll down. Mm-hmm. So I got in the roll down. I think they had four slots for my age group. And three didn't take it. 
Really? Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, wow, because you kind of go and I didn't think I was going to get there mm. or I was hopeful. Maybe there was five. I, like I needed a bit of a roll down mm. and I was like, oh man, I hope I get it, I hope I get it. And then I didn't even have to go to roll down because in the morning, because you do it the next day, don't you? Well, yeah. Back in those days, you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you go down and they had that the people had already said and when they entered, they didn't want the slot. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And so when I went to, to go to the roll down, I was like, oh, you've already got it. And I was like, mm. oh man, I was over the moon. Yeah. Paid my thousand bucks, I was out of there. <laughs> and then you went off to the Ironman World Champs and you went 10, yeah. 10.44. And there was a tough day 56 the in the age group. The, three, the bike. 3.21 three overall. And you only but, got beaten by 22 chicks there. Yeah, but the thing about me for that race was, it was, I, I'd done it. Like I'd qualified and it, like mm. that year was all about qualifying and, and the Hawaii experience, I didn't really even care about performance. I was just, mm. I wanted to have the experience. So there was no, like it was a really hard day. It was one of the hardest days in Kona with the wind. Um, and I ran the whole marathon. I think I did three and a half in the marathon, which mm-hmm. I was happy with. And uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. But yeah. And then next year I went back and won Ironman New Zealand age group. Yes. And did I, did I beat the chicks? Oh, you haven't claimed that one. Oh, okay. Well, get it. I'm back on to Athlinks. Because then you claim you 2001 where you only got... Uh, 2001? 2007, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where I blew up. Fourth. What did I do? About 940? 940. When we're, we're, we both blew up. <laughs> we were both walking on the run, and then you started walking slower than me. Yeah, and you overtook me. I and then I you somehow, somehow you've claimed the Great Booper South Marathon. Great. Did I win it? Booper Great South Marathon in uh, Portsmouth. I don't know why you've claimed that one. Yeah, no, because I did really well. <laughs> I think I got third overall today. Yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah, <laughs> that was a great yeah. race. So here's the thing. Bevan can go back, you know, you can go back and reminisce. Well, and, and, and to be honest, forget. I wish I'd done more of this in the time because mm. I used to race a lot. Like I used to mm. a lot of cycle racing and, and I had some, I wasn't a, a cyclist, but I had some pretty good performances in some cycle races mm. and that that I never really, you know, I was a bit slack on it, so I kind of only occasionally did it. I know you've always been quite disciplined. Yeah. And the guy who's not really the athlete now, you know, I kind of, you know, when you look back, I kind of wish I'd just gone to that weekly habit of when I raced. And those races that you've done in the past, those have been yeah, websites no, yeah, have been no, gone. Yeah, the, yeah, there's no so, history of that anymore. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so definitely, guys, if you, don't be like me. Don't be like Be, be like, like John. <laughs> That's the story of life, isn't it, John? It is. Yeah, there we go. So, athletesalks.com, guys. Geek out on your own results. Get in there weekly. Put your results up. You won't regret it in the future. Okay. <coughs> Questions and answers. Okay, Jumbo, first of all, we've got one here. Morton Alibash was just sending us something through. Something that I'm seeing popping up a lot more. You're getting a lot mm. more package deals coming in. I'm not sure if we've talked about this in the past, but I know with I mean Danish Zealand, double, that sounds a bit wrong, doesn't it? Danish double. <laughs> it's not to do with triathlon. He's really saying that if you enter two or more of the Danish Ironman branded events in a year, there are two 70.3s and one full. You get priority access to registration for Ironman Copenhagen the year after plus a free entry into their little super sprint mini event that they've got as well so um, we've also seen in New Zealand where you get there's a package deal for Ironman New Zealand 70.3 so you know by WTC expanding and having more and more events they've got this opportunity to try to you know, so what's the benefit the benefit is it's cheaper Oh, so, no, but this is it yeah it is so, so if you enter Ironman New Zealand and Ironman 70.3 New Zealand uh, combined, it's like you save a hundred bucks if you're going to enter okay. them both individually. So. Which, in, which, in fairness, oh, it's it pretty good because most people who do an Ironman New Zealand are probably going to do a seven point three as well, mm. or a lot of people will. Mm, when, when, when are they going to run a seven point three now? Is the date changed? It, yes, it is. It's in December, so it's earlier. Okay. Mm. Um, and Stevenson sent through an email. Hey, John, this one's for you. Um, I'm trying to decide whether between a Revbox and a Wahoo Kicker, and keep switching between the two. Obviously, the Revbox is superior for developing pedal efficiency, but do you think the Kicker is 
Ergo mode offers similar benefits. I've used a Rev Erg trainer, not uh, sure which kind, years ago when I did cycling. It was with my old coach. And I did find it really good, although it hurt like hell. But the kicker clearly offers more in entertainment and variety, which is definitely appealing. But also, I wonder if there is an almost too much. I know you have used both with, uh, and with sponsors, you may be required to be more biased. But I'm never biased. You, John's never biased. If you're able to give me your opinion on which one you feel would be that would be great. I guess my main question is erg mode of the kicker going to be just as much benefit as the rev box or is it just uh, better the other way? So they're two, two fairly different products so it really depends on what is your outcome that you want to get at the end of this because the rev box is uh, for those people that don't know what that is it's basically a fan um it's they had the kickstarter didn't they yeah they did did i wonder how that went uh no it went okay it's just pro- it was good promo for them okay. so it's a good the rev box is a fantastic product but it's a tool for improving your pedaling efficiency and uh so it's basically like a fan a fan um, mechanism you take your back wheel out put it in and it gives you fantastic resistance it forces you to ride circles and really improves your cycling technique you wouldn't go and sit on a rev box for five hours riding it's something a bit like a pool boy and paddles and stuff you might incorporate that into um, your workout so good technique. yeah if you're you know if you're doing a cycling phase you know you might do one or two rev box sessions per week of 45 to 60 minutes so you might do some intervals on there you can do very very hard intervals on on a rev box uh so really good for developing your cycling the kicker is uh is kind of a different product and ideally you would have both but not everybody's got an infinite budget the kicker is just much more of a training tool you can simulate courses um you can do you know uh, intervals and trainer road type stuff um so I'm, i'm on my kicker fairly regularly i think it's fantastic so i've got both um and they're both really good, but they're both different things. So it kind of depends what the How often outcome. do you use each one? If I was training um, on the bike, which I'm not really doing yeah, at the moment, but, yeah, when, uh, when I was training, I was doing, I would do a, a, do a lot of my stuff on the road, but if uh, the, the rev box, I'd do one session per week if I was in a bike phase. Okay. And the rest of my training would be on the road, and then I'd be on the kicker if the weather was crappy. And, and if you were a guy who lived in a snowy place, you'd do mainly Wahoo in this occasion. In the, in the winter. Uh, so if you were going through a, a winter bike phase, you know, you'd be maybe doing four or five rides per week. You'd probably do three on the kicker, two on the two on the, the rev box. So it really depends if you're looking for something that's going to help you stay inside for long periods of time and do really structured training workouts, then I'd probably go down the kicker. If you've already got a reasonably good trainer um, and you were looking to for something else, then you'd go for the rev box to improve your overall cycling performance. So pricing-wise, they cost around about the same. They're both about, I think the, kick, the the rev box is cheaper. It's about, I think it's a thousand bucks New Zealand or a thousand bucks US. The kicker is uh, is, is a bit more so uh, they're both good tools but I guess to get back to your to, to your question um, in the erg mode the the kicker is not the same as the rev box so if you're trying to develop your cycling efficiency and skills the rev box is the way to go if you're looking for something to motivate you and stay interested while you train inside then probably the kicker is the way to go okay come on Next question, Jombo. Uh, this, next question. This, this one's for you. You can maybe comment on this a little bit more. We don't, probably don't want to spend ages on it, but it's something you brought up on the show ages ago about a guy called Adam Car- Carolla. Yeah. Who you listen to his podcast. I don't really listen to his podcast, but I, uh, Adam Carolla is a, a famous comedian. He's a bit, he's a bit, 
Uh, he's, 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 he's funny, but he's also kind of opinionated in sometimes bad ways. But um, but he but he got so the question is around the patent that happened with podcasting a while ago. So yeah. basically, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys know much about the patent system, but the patent system was is basically designed so that let's say John invents a new gadget for a bike um, that will make him millions of dollars, and and John invests I don't know hundred thousand bucks to to you know invent this, and so the patent system is a way to protect John so he can make profit off his product for a period of time so that you know let's say you know I couldn't just copy it and make the money because he's invested all of that time and energy in creating the product now the patent system has been a really good system to help innovators and uh, entrepreneurs long term but in the last period of time patents have come into software and software is a kind of a totally different world and what's happened is there's this concept of a patent troll and what these people are are people who are companies who go back and look at old patents that have been created around software and try to apply them to new technology. And so there was a pattern, somebody invented a pattern maybe 20 years ago, the idea of saying, hey, one day we can play music on a computer. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't even that specific. And uh, so some company, I can't remember the name of the company, basically went and said, well, actually podcasters use this technology. So they owe us money to, to podcast. Mm-hmm. And they, they, this company basically went to kind of the 10 top podcasters out there. Mm-hmm. Like, and Adam Carolla has one of the biggest shows out there. And um and so they went and they, and they basically took them to court and it was going to cost millions of dollars and they had big implications for podcasting because the argument was that they were going for the big guys first and if they win that legal battle then they'll come to you know to the smaller guys like you and I and um and so Adam put a fund out there a um a, like a Kickstarter kind yeah. of fund I, I, I put, donated yeah, yeah I put hundred bucks towards it because it was mm. pretty important and uh and they actually won mm. and uh and they they dropped the case and mm. it's um been pre- it was a pretty massive win mm. and uh so for the implications for us is it just means it's no longer a problem but mm. it's it's a really interesting time with this patent stuff if you want to listen to a really great podcast on it. This American Life, which is a great podcast, they did a podcast on patents, patents and what's happening with them right now, and it's pretty fascinating. But overall, um, you know, we keep going, we keep going. Yeah, we keep going, and I think ultimately it would have come at a cost to us. It would have meant we would have to pay fees to these companies. Mm. It's totally corrupt mm. when you when you when you listen to This American Life. It's totally corrupt, mm. and it's just. Um, yeah, it's just really fascinating. Anyway, next question. Tommy Chopper. More words got. I've got a question for questions and answers. Uh, long time event, Xterra 70.3. I always get bad cramps in my calves and quads. Seven races, seven cramps. I've started using compression socks and that stops the calf cramps, but I can't stop the quads from turning into Pacific knots and bringing me to the walk for a minute or two as I try to stretch them out in agony. It's usually around 7k mark into the run. Bam! Goodbye muscles. I've tried loading up with a magnesium for the weeks leading up to the events. I've tried different electrolyte drinks. I've tried salt tabs on the run. I've tried cramp soap spray, stop spray. I never get cramps when I train or during Olympic distance or sprint distance events. Anything else I can try? Righty ho. So a couple of things that you might want to try is if you actually mentioned that the compression socks have helped. Now I know SLS used to have, but you still get those, the cramps in your quads. Um, I know SLS used to do um, some quad sleeves as well. Um, so the compression, you look like a bit, it looks a bit odd when you put some compression garments on your quads, but perhaps that might help if it's worked well for your calves. It's one thing to try. Typically, you know, cramps are related to um, inadequate pacing. So you you, know, you either go out too hard um, 
and and you just pay the price for that so your, your muscles basically aren't used to racing that intensity so you want to be having a look at how you're pacing these 70.3s and exteriors and are you training the same way that you plan to race um, and tick that off and if you're not you need to make some changes one of my personal things that I think a lot of people where they um, come a little unstuck with related to, to cramps is pre-race hydration you know in the past we've been told you know always carry a drink bottle around you before the days leading into the race and you hydrate 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 and that's kind of been thrown out the window a little bit so have a look at what you're doing leading into the races of course you don't want to be dehydrated going into the race but the theory yeah. of being overhydrated has been refuted electrolyte loading is not necessary yeah, not yeah. necessary so just uh normal hydration leading into the event correct training so as i said make sure that you know if you're getting cramps in these issues where in the race you're getting them i'm getting them running off the bike about 7k in so make sure you simulate that um more frequently in training so go out and then you know it's, you, you can't go and swim 2k and ride 90 kilometers at race intensity and then get off and you know do it do a race and training but you could quite easily go out and do say 60 kilometers of riding at race intensity and then get off and, and run say a 10k run off the bike and see how you react to that so so, you know, training the way that you're going to race and having some key sessions around that. And you, you mentioned a little bit of supplementation there, trying magnesium. One supplement that a lot of people have uh, good success with is uh, it's quinine. It's supplement, but it's more you need to get it prescribed, don't you? Yeah, it's a tablet, quinine sulfate. Yeah. Um, and you take, I used to use it with the treat. Yeah, 200 milligrams um, before a race. And if you're doing a half or a seven, uh, exterior, just taking one before the race is adequate. If you're doing an Ironman, you take one as well on the bike. Um, but that has some really good success as well but the whole area of cramps still has a lot of the science world scratching their heads going yeah. mm, sometimes but the general consensus in there is it's racing too hard yeah, generally generally yes. speaking isn't it and so what I would say especially with the exterior races you know you've got some really hard high intensity bursts in there mm. and that may be short circuiting things a little bit um, again trying to make your training as specific as you can for 70.3 Tend to, you know, it tends to just be um, muscle fatigue that's, that's sort of kicking into action. So are you doing enough training um, at the, the right intensities that you race? So a few things going on, um, but maybe uh, outside of the training things, uh, looking at quinine, maybe some uh, some quad sleeves and uh, try those things. Okay, uh, just have a quick email here. Good old uh, Adam Adrian Bardsley sent through um, a link to something that was pretty cool. So, so he sent through. Um, a, they're going to be crewing the, 70, uh, the challenge on July the thirteenth, and the challenge basically are doing a bit of a wreck in Dick Hoyt. So uh, I don't think you. There's a link I haven't seen it. No. Um, so this year, Challenge Denmark will be having a very special competitor, our youngest yet, an eight-year-old Harrison Smith from Surrey, will be taking part in the event with his dad, Alex, who is attempting to set the world record for the long-distance race. Alex will be carrying his 35-year-old son around the whole course on the 13th of June. Harrison suffers from um, DMS, which is uh, muscular kind of dystrophy. dystrophy is yeah. it? I'm not sure. um, a fatal muscle-wasting disease that means that he is probably won't live past his mid-twenties and will be in a wheelchair before the age of 10. Alex has read about this American dad called Rick Hoyt in the late 80s, who went on to become a coach, couch potato, from being a couch potato, taking his son Rick, who had cerebral palsy around the iron distance course. He decided that his son Harrison 
comparison was progressively getting weaker and he wouldn't get to feel the same sense of achievement of boys his own age who play sports or take part in events like this as they get older so I decided that he would do it for him and be Harrison's arms and legs to tanker, tackle the course altogether. Alex will be towing Harrison around the course and specifically designed uh, mini catamaran that he pulls, uh, swims and pulls and pushes him in a carbon fibre made trailer as he cycles and then runs the finish. Alex is undertaking this feat to raise awareness for the to fund Harrison's fund, a charity for him and his wife. Donna set up in 2011 in response to Harrison's diagnosis. It aims to raise money to fund the best researchers who are working to cure the disease which affects over 3,500 boys who are born within the United Kingdom each year. So the, the website and I'll put a link to this is, is justgiving.com greatest iron man slash greatest iron man there'll be a link to that on www.iamtalk.me but Adam Adrian um, I think I think it's actually um, vegans vegans sent this through but I uh, vegan and Adam are going to be actually crewing for this so nice. I just want to say a big thank you because um, Challenge gave out free entry for the race but also applying accommodation supplying accommodation for these guys nice um, they've been brilliant from the outset also a big thanks to Hub for the wetsuits and tri-suits uh, Team Carbon Bikes for the bikes and Craft for the leisure wear Alex will be doing the challenge runs a charity so we'll put a link to that on the website as well so and they've currently they want to raise $20,000 and they're currently at 7000 so if you want to donate to a pretty awesome cause that's pretty cool way eh? doing it for an 8 year old because mm. I think the thing is, like Rick and Dick are probably phenomenal as well, but it's a long day for a kid. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's a pretty challenging day for a kid. Yeah. You know? I wonder if we'd be able to have like the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's a long day an eye, man. Yeah. You know, like so well done. So uh well, let us know how it goes, boys, and we'll uh we get plenty of love closer to the time. So there you go. Jombo patrons. Yes, thank you to all our lovely patrons. We love you. Julia Cleopatra Jones. Cleopatra Jones, that's a good nickname. I don't know where we came up. Cleopatra Jones seems to remind me of a singer from the 70s, but I could be totally wrong. Uh, Dan Dan Cole, I need to make one up. Now, I could have used this name in the past. I'm slightly concerned I have. But when I thought of Cole, I thought of Soul. You know, like as in the soul. And I thought, I'm a soul man. So I called him The Man. Or even Dan, the man even works, doesn't oh, I thought it? That's where you were coming from. Oh no, it's it it the soul, the coal man, isn't the soul man? But the Dan, the man works, doesn't it? I was thinking old king. Oh, that's a good one as well. <laughs> oh, Dan, you could choose. You could be the man or the old king coal. Nice. You should have just put that in there, Newsom. Uh, Michael the Hawk Threadgold. Nice, Andrew uh, Hurwitz. Yeah, Aaron uh, Hurwitz. Oh, sorry, where did I get Andrew? Dyslexia. Um, the interpreter. He's our Israeli contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gear, Golden Shoes, Ol Johansson. Yeah, well, Golden Shoes, did we think 200 meter Michael Johnson? Well, this, when I first saw the name, I thought it was Johnson. I was thinking, uh, Michael Johnson, Golden, Golden, Golden Shoes. Golden Shoes, Michael Johnson. Then I looked at it, it was Johansson. I thought, I'm using it anyway. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's belief in your ability, isn't it? The Golden yeah. Shoes factor. Golden Shoes. When you turn up to the Olympics wearing Golden Shoes, You've got to back that up, don't you? He did. He did. And he did. He was an amazing athlete, wasn't he? Very impressive. Yeah, he was phenomenal. So, guys, thanks so he much was so for being. He was too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was. 
Well, it was leaning he, back, wasn't he? Has he still got the world record or not? Richard Swan will know. There we go. You, you talk about something else for a second. Uh, patrons, thanks so much for helping us keep the show alive. Everybody who becomes a patron goes in the draw to go to the Hawaii Ironman with us next year, as well as, uh, guys, we've got uh, swim caps, we've got uh, beanies, so check out imtalk.me, and we've got our patrons button on there, and you can see all the goss, and so just a couple of bucks per month makes a massive difference to us, and hopefully it doesn't inconvenience you dudes too much. So he, thank you much. He still support. does hold the record. 400? Wouldn't be the 200 because, um, what's his name? Old Jamaican's got that. Usain Bolt will have the 200, but 400. Yeah, no, he's, he's got it. So so I'm just trying to find a history of the records. Wait a second, records. Okay, so, so, record, 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 record. Michael Johnson. It's going to be a long show. Make 2000, it snappy. 2000, uh, 2000, 1999 he got the record. Mm. And it's still, it's just still, oh, they're close. But still, like point five a second away from him. Jeez, mm. that, that, I reckon that's got to be. Oh, what's the hardest event? Stupid question, but that's a hard event. Hard event, four hundred. Four hundred going all out for forty seconds. Four hundred hurdles is harder, I reckon. Because you've got to do the jump factor. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Okay, Jumbo. Um, long show. It's going to be two sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer in Jumbo. Our lovely patrons. You guys rock. You make this work. Okay, Jumbo, gossip. Okay, gossip. Um, we had the kids cross country and... Oh, wait, at school? Uh, they had them down at the park. For oh, was it for school? For school, yeah. Felicity's is just a few laps of the school school. Yeah, ground. most of the kids end up walking, eh? Uh, and not in her one, because her one's like literally one or two minutes. Yeah. She falls flat on her face at the start. Oh, pushed great. over, last place. And was she crying? No, she got up and started running. Shoelaces came undone, <laughs> ran her way up to third what, place. What parent taught her about preparation? <laughs> ran up to third place and then stopped after two laps. It was a three-lap race. Oh. Got past all these people, still ended up in third place. So it was a good performance. Oh, so she got a bit of pedigree. Yeah, she's got poor technique. We did a bit of technique work afterwards. <laughs> Straight arms. It wasn't high. Felicity, what are you doing with those arms? Uh, You're an embarrassment to me. <laughs> Thomas, on the other hand... Does not have a lot of natural talent on the athletic yep. you grounds, yep. but so last year he did, he is a little huff and puff, which is what Felicity did. It's like a couple of minutes race, um, and he got like nineteenth out of his year yep. group this year, uh, cross country. So, uh, half a, it was a K and a half, but I think it was a good K and a half. Yep. They were out there for a little while. One point six. Yeah, and I said Thomas, main thing he because he's done a couple of races now. I said main thing you just got to pace yourself, and yep. uh, those kids crazy. are going to go nuts at the beginning, and they're going to sprint off. And so we're watching the the start, and we see him. He's just getting smoked. He's yep. like in the back third, he's pa- but he's best. pacing himself. Uh, you couldn't couldn't tell if he was or he wasn't, but he was getting smoked. And then uh, we see them bugger off and you don't see them for you know, a good five minutes or so if they're off doing the course and coming back and a couple of hundred metres to the finish and I was with the father-in-law and he says, is that Thomas in the lead? I said, no, it's not. And it wasn't. But I said, that is him in fourth place though. Oh, wow. And he was coming up on this kid and this kid was turning around looking for him and Thomas was just running a nice smooth pace and this kid had you know, turned around and tried to sprint and then Thomas had run up to him, just patient, and then he just gassed him. Oh, nice, I got third. Yes, he got third. I was very impressed. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Proper good running. That was good, yeah, good form on Oh, that. mate. So hey. I was very pleased hey. with the kids. Third and third. Was he over the moon? He was pretty pumped. Yeah. He's, he's very competitive. Is he? Very competitive. That's <laughs> <laughs> got to be trained out. It's, it's over the top competitive. Oh, really? What about so, the kid who won? Were they miles ahead? He was in my soccer team last year. He wasn't too far ahead. Oh, you have to get that kid. You know, when you, I remember in Toronto, <laughs> when you, you just watch these young kids and there'll be that, that kid who's just 
talent. Yeah, no. The, the Raul is, is, is dad's uh, bike mechanic at Scotty Brown's. Oh, okay. Mm. So it's our main bike shop in, in town. So that was my main highlight of last week. And then, of course, uh, Mother's Day at the weekend. What did you get her? Some chocolates. Wow. Yeah. What about your mum? Chocolates are great. Is that your mum? I got my mum chocolates as well. And the kids got blown into chocolates. So Chocolates are a win, aren't they? Yes. Everyone likes and, we, and we had a really good uh, takeaway dinner for Sunday. What did you get? Coriander's curry. It was quality. Coriander's curry? Where's Coriander's curry? Coriander's in town. Quality. Oh, we went out to um, King of Snake. Have mm. you been there? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have their wontongs? I think we did. It was the one place oh, I've been to and I couldn't finish the meals. I was like, I'm not happy about this at all. I am so full. Oh, really? I could not finish it. Because the first time I went to King of Snakes, it's, it's kind of one of the, it's a bit more expensive. It's a really nice place. Um, and the first time I went there, I was like, oh, this is a bit disappointing. I was a bit gutted. Eh? And then the second time I went, oh, why did I not like it the first time? This is brilliant. And so then we got given a voucher. And so Joe and I went there and said, no, their wontongs are gold. Right. Oh, they're the best wontongs in the world. They're not nice. even wontongs really, but they're yeah. just so much meat in them and, the, and the, everything was flavour. And then I got chicken. and mm, Oh, John, quality, it was a happy place. Quality. Happy place. I'm hearing you. I can't believe you didn't eat everything. I was so did you thought, ask for a doggy bag? No, it wasn't really doggy bag food. Yeah, no, it's not really, is it? I wasn't happy. Anyway... You have a gossip on my front. Went to the movies. We saw Pitch Perfect 2. Have you seen Pitch Perfect? It's a good Don't. fun movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Oh, one. is that the one with the, the, the darts? No, no, that's the Australian one. Which one's that? There's a new one coming out where the kid's trying to learn to throw a dart and he's got to get it 25 metres to get into some competition. It yeah. looks pretty funny. Oh, no, this one's uh, it's an acapella group. No. The first, the, seriously, it's a good kind of because it's kind of funny for both sexes, right? If you know what I mean. So it's a good kind of sit down with your missus kind of movie. I uh, went for that and went to dinner and thinking about the Queenstown Marathon, John. Nice, starting to kind of happen in my mind. Yeah, been come running. And, come and join the boys. It's the same timing as Auckland Marathon, so you can come and do some training sessions. Do you know what's the problem with the Auckland Marathon, John? Do you know the big problem with the Auckland Marathon? What? Massive problem, huge problem. What? Same time as Rugby World Cup final. What day's the uh, final? It's the same time. Literally, yeah. Hadn't oh, oh. <laughs> factored that one. In. Yeah, I, so I, don't, I don't know if this is hundred percent factual, but someone came up to me. I was talking to someone the other day, and they said they were talking about doing, thinking about doing an Auckland marathon, and then they've heard that it's the same time as the World Cup rugby final, and they're like, "There's no way they're doing it." I'm going to do some research. On <laughs> yeah, that. I'm still running, but um, <laughs> just go and watch it delayed somewhere. Yeah, but it's yeah, if the All Blacks in the World Cup rugby final, it creates a big problem for that because a lot of people won't do it. I'm sure they won't care because it's been signed up. But if 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 the All Blacks are in the Rugby World Cup final and it was me doing a half marathon, I'm watching the All Blacks. Mm. You know, you know, for, for a country mile. So so yeah, yeah, he's on the Rugby World Cup final <laughs> website. Yeah. So when's the final? Here we go. Four o'clock on Saturday, the thirty first of October. So four o'clock in the afternoon in England would be. But was that start time? Was it kickoff time? Kickoff that- four o'clock. It's a funny kickoff time, isn't it? Just depending on what the time zones are at. But you're right. It's going to be pretty similar time, isn't it? It's going to be very similar time. Yeah. <laughs> so so that could be. So they, I'm sure they won't have a problem because they sell that race out so quickly and people probably didn't know. But that, that, that could be a real You know, <laughs> if it's us versus the Poms, you know. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, goodness. So you're at, are you at Wellington? Is that an no, 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 but I'm so uh, the training update. Uh, the calf is getting better a hell of a lot quicker than I anticipated. Oh, so that's, uh, I'm optimistic about that. I uh, did a 30 minute run last night and uh, that was good. So 
I will do Wellington, but I don't think I'm going to be in great shape. It's a good training day. Mm. Okay, Jonbo, I think. Uh, I'm yeah. just I'm just going to find this timetable here. So if I'm running, okay, he really wants on, to know. Uh, I think the race starts pretty. So early. we're doing it starts at about six o'clock. The race starts at six in the morning. It starts about six thirty. Yeah, I'm in a spot bother. Yeah, you're in a spot bother, aren't you? <laughs> that is. Uh, That's real bad planning, and they can't change it because it's such a big five, race. Five thirty in the. Oh, really and you're gonna to have to get up and go to the race so mm. you, you, yeah yeah so oh well well you could run with an eye an like a, a device and listen to it on radio sport yeah well, i could listen to it on the radio it'll probably be finished by the time we start but i'll be listening to it it's not the same but is it not the same it's far from being the same far from, <laughs> i suppose could have the ipad to get the where did you watch the rugby world cup final the one we won last one uh i can't remember it wasn't anything Particularly, it was, it was, it was against France, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the most frustrating. Yeah, game. no, that was that was a boring game. That was a hopeless game. I yeah. watched that with some mates, but it was tension filled. Yeah, because it, it was, wasn't fun. We can't lose this one. Yeah, we could, I'll be, I think I'll be able to watch it on the iPad, um, but it'll be during race warm up. <laughs> That'll be a bad way to start a race. No, Imagine if we lose that. Yeah, that's true. If we lost the final, oh. that's assuming we get into the final. Yeah. So if we don't get in the final, it doesn't matter. But if it's, we're in the final, dilemma, dilemma. Anyway. Oh dear. Here we go. Iron Rust. I'm in. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.